Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. At the end of the day, when, when you look at life as a blue compared to what it would look like with Alex Petrangelo and without Alex Petrangelo, I think uh, it's it, you, 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 now you're sitting on a nervous pedestal because uh, you, that, that's a guy who's hard to replace. You're going to spend the next five to seven years looking for a guy like that if you he, if he can't find a way to bring him back. That was Carlo Koliakovo talking to us. Alex, I pulled that out of the archives. That was in July. I thought you were going to use another A word. <laughs> Of 2020, we're in the midst of the pandemic. Lots changed since then. In fact, the show has changed since then. At least we had something to talk about during the pandemic, though. Jamie Rivers was hosting that show with me at the time. You were working where Tanner is now. We've all had a little bit of a come up over the course of the last three seasons. Someone didn't have a come up. Someone was right where he needed to be the whole time. Well, my name came fir- comes first now instead of second. So there was a little bit of a boost That's there. because Jamie threatened to end you if his name was second. That is true. <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The reason why we bring that back today is because the Blues are going up against a team tonight in New Jersey that does have a legitimate number one defenseman in Dougie Hamilton. Now, they acquired him in a way that is incredibly unusual for a number one defenseman to become available, Alex. Petrangelo acquired the same way by the Vegas Golden Knights, of course, when the Blues lost him in free agency. Earlier today, ESPN.com put out their list of the top 10 defensemen in the NHL. We went through earlier to figure out, okay, how were these players acquired by their current teams? How do they get them? How can we reverse engineer it? Because the Blues are missing a number one defenseman right now. A legit number one defenseman. Same way the Cardinals are missing a legitimate ace in their rotation. Here is the top 10 defensemen on this list, Alex, and how they were acquired. You tell me what, what this means for the Blues. What imagine has got to be at least number nine on this list. I, I think it was a mistake. I did not see okay. his name on no. this list, either in the top 10 or in others receiving votes. I'll make it's, sure to go find out who did that list and make sure they, uh, they understand that there's a problem. You're going to be surprised to hear it was Greg Wyshynski. Oh, okay. So <laughs> surprised Bennington probably wasn't on the goalie list either. He wasn't. But on that you go, correct. sir. All right, so top 10 defensemen in the NHL right now, according to Greg Wyshynski, he interviewed a bunch of executives and players around the league to be able to come up with this list. Cam McCarr, number one, he was drafted. Mm -hmm. Adam Fox, number two, he was acquired via trade while he was still a prospect. He was in in, uh, college still when he was traded from Calgary to Carolina and then from Carolina to the New York Rangers. Victor Edmond, he was drafted. Mm -hmm. Roman Yossi, he was drafted. Charlie McAvoy, he was drafted. Uh, Eric Carlson... 
This is the first one where he was traded while in the NHL. And now the San Jose Sharks would love nothing more than to get out of that contract that's paying him $11.5 million. What a roller for, coaster think, for him. What's so funny about that, too, is they wish that this season from Eric Carlson would have been two years ago, Eric 100%. Carlson, because he's on pace for 100 points right now. He's legitimately one yeah. of the six best defensemen in the NHL. They just want to get away from it now because their team sucks and he wasn't playing this way when they needed to be good. 100%. So Eric Carlson acquired via trade. That's a rarity on this list while in the NHL. I'm going to say this name wrong. Miro Heiskanen. He was drafted by the Dallas Stars. I should have let you say it, but this is why we're good teammates together. <laughs> Rasmus Stalin, uh, drafted number one overall. Uh, Jakob Slavin, drafted. And now we've got Dougie Hamilton, who we just discussed, was acquired via free agency. The only players that we just listed in the entire top 10 of the NHL's best defensemen in the, NA, uh, in the league right now. Dougie Hamilton acquired via free agency. Number 10. Eric Carlson acquired via trade while in the league at number six. Alex, if the Blues are going to pull a rabbit out of their hat and acquire somebody via trade this offseason, they're basically trying to say, hey, we can be the next team that gets Eric Carlson. I don't know if you want to be that team. No, you don't want to be that team. If you're going to try to find somebody in free agency, when you do, they are legitimate number one defensemen before you acquire them. It's Alex Petrangelo, who was that here. It's Dougie Hamilton, who was that at multiple other spots before being acquired by the New Jersey Devils. I say all of that to say this. The Blues are going to, if the Blues are able to acquire a number one defenseman, if they're going to find that guy, there's one way this happens, man. And it's via the draft. And when you look at where most of these guys were selected, it's probably via the draft where the Blues are drafting this upcoming season. Yeah, and, and I went and looked at uh, Spot Rack just to kind of see free agents over the next few years when number one defensemen can be available. Uh, 2025 is the year that if Blues <laughs> fans are hoping that that number one D-man's available, uh, and it's Aaron Ekblad. That's a Florida Panthers who's going to be 29 years old. But here's the thing. Probably not going to hit that spot because he's a number one defenseman. Jacob Chikrin's available then. Probably not going to hit that spot. You just don't get to this point. You're right. Uh, number one defensemen come in all shapes and sizes and different spots of the draft. Roman Yossi was selected in the second round. Uh, Jakob Slavin from the Carolina Hurricanes drafted in the fourth round. A lot of these guys, though, are drafted top five, top ten, even top 15 like a Charlie McAvoy. So you got an opportunity this season with the draft picks that you're accumulating. Maybe you can find that. But here's the problem. Those number one defensemen don't just all of a sudden, boom, welcome to being one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. Alex Petrangelo took about five years before he established himself as a number one defenseman. Even a Victor Hedman took about three to four years before he established himself. Kale McCarr kind of jumped right into it, but the defensive side of the game continued to grow. So this Hell, was... I mean, Vince Dunn, he's not on this list. He's not a top 10 defenseman in the NHL, but he's... He's a very good one, and yeah. he's playing at an incredibly high level on that top pairing for Seattle right now. Mm-hmm. It took him, what, six years yeah. to become this player? And, and that's sometimes six years at the NHL level. And sometimes guys don't become it unless they get an opportunity elsewhere. Now, the list that we went through, those are all drafted, developed, and given that opportunity. But a lot of those teams were going through a regrowth spurt where those guys were a part of that. This is the problem for the Blues if you're looking for a number one defenseman. And, yeah, you, you got to hope that you can strike a, a deal in, in in the draft and find that right product. Maybe there's somebody in your system. I mean, they've got a couple of young players that they are high on a, uh, a Leo Luf who plays over in Sweden right now. This was a guy that they were pretty excited about, although I'm not sure where he's at right now in terms of growth. I don't think you have anybody in the minors other than one name. 
And this kind of comps to what Adam Fox is for the New York Rangers. What if Scott Witkowski? No, oh, not Witkowski, oh, buddy. Sorry, man. Sorry, man. Tyler he, Tucker. He's still trying to figure out if he's a forward or a defenseman for the Springfield Thunderbirds. He's working on it, okay? Okay. It's it's Scott Perunovich. And I know people are going to laugh at that when they hear me say Scott Perunovich's name. But the hope from Doug Armstrong and his staff, I believe, looked at Scott Perunovich's. Maybe this is the guy who can be like an Adam Fox, like a Quinn Hughes. I don't think he's going to get to a Kale McCarr level. But the comp is actually real with an Adam Fox because Perunovic is putting up the same numbers in college that Adam Fox was. The issue is injuries. Hopefully the Blues can find that, but this is the search that you're going to be going when you went down this path of not bringing back Alex Petrangelo. Carlo Koliakovo said, you're going to be spending the next five to seven years trying to replace Petro if you allow him to walk. We're in year three. So if they were to draft that guy this year, the likelihood is you would see that within the next two to four years, that player finally get up to the NHL level. Now, there is no guarantee that player becomes Adam Fox, Victor Edmond, Kale McCarr, Charlie McAvoy, um, Jakob Slavin. In fact, the overwhelming likelihood is he doesn't. The overwhelming likelihood is his ceiling, something similar to what you have currently on the roster. And so this brings us back to the guy that is already on the blues that we've been waiting for, for what, three years now in terms of like actually trying to find out what he is at the NHL level. This was Joey Vitale talking with us last year about Scott Perunovich and what he could potentially bring to the blues. But I'm telling you from a potential standpoint, Scott Perunovich looks so much like Quinn Hughes. It is, it is insane. I mean, Chris Kerber on the call a couple nights ago, we kept calling him Tory Krug on the power play, and I kept hitting him. I'm like, listen, it's not Krug, it's Prunovich. But the point was, he looks so much like Krug, the way he moves his hips and the way he gets out of trouble. And you think he's cornered, but then he escapes it and he finds that lane. That's the creativity of him. And I think if he goes in the minors, plays a lot of games, he's going to come up and he's going to be quite a player. I don't think we're going to have a Kale McCarr. But can we have something close to Quinn Hughes? I really think we can with this kid. It's like Shakira. His hips don't lie out there. Somebody on our text line brings up an interesting point. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. Guys, the top defensemen on your list are all mainly offensive defensemen. I think the Blues need a number one defensive-minded defenseman. It's a It's fair. What, what, are, what you're saying there is fair. Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Roman Yossi, Charlie McAvoy, all... Probably more leaning, I guess maybe not Roman Yossi, but the others are, are more leaning towards the offensive side of things than they are the defensive-minded side the of things. The young ones are the offensive. Sure. A lot of the older ones are the two-way defensemen. 100%. Eric Carlson would be on that list of the offensive defensemen as well. Not even a defenseman, I'd argue. Touche. Uh, the, the reason why I don't necessarily believe that they need that defensive-minded defenseman is because this is the direction that the game is going. It's like in the NFL. If you told me, hey, you can have the number one offense in the NFL versus the number one defense in the NFL right now, what would you prefer to have? Well, we just saw it in the Super Bowl. Good offense, great quarterback play will beat good defense every time. And in the NHL right now, with the NHL scoring going up for, I think it's like the fourth consecutive season, it's at historic levels once again this year. Give me the defenseman that boosts my offense. Give me the defenseman that can be for the Blues. What Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy, uh, Eric Carlson, those players all are for their respective teams. So if that's what it takes to be able to get that quote unquote number one defenseman, man, I don't care what shape, size, offense, defense, whatever it ends up being, whoever that player is, if they play at that level, I'm good with it. And personally, 
I would like it to be an offensive-minded defenseman because I do think that is more the direction of the game. We're going to talk about this in the 12 o'clock hour, too, because the reason we're seeing some of the success in the last couple of games for the Blues is because of that offensive mindset, and they've switched up the scheme a little bit. This is the direction of the NHL. Like it or not, there's no more of the grind it out in front of your net and hold guys down and pin them down so that they can't get shots off. It's moving the puck efficiently. It's not hesitating in your own zone, and it's speed through the neutral zone. That's where the Blues looked so good the other night against Florida, because what did Nick Letty do? He took the puck and just skated it out of the yep. zone. Colton Pareko did this. Tori Krug did this. Justin Falk did this. That's what you need out of your defenseman. And this is why I ask the question, if it is Scott Perunovich, I don't know if he's ever going to be a elite number one defenseman. Frankly, I could I could hear the argument that Adam Fox isn't an elite number one defenseman because he's not great defensively. And I would disagree with that argument, but, but I respect it. You're getting points. And that's what matters. Can Perunovich be a 74 point player like Fox was last year when he won the Norse? I, I don't think so. But. Can he be what Quinn Hughes was in his second season where he put up 53 points in 68 games and was a really impactful player for them? Yeah. The, the problem for Scott Perunovich is injury. If you can't stay healthy, you're never going to develop into this. I mean, Quinn Hughes' first season in the NHL, he only played five games out of college, but then the next season he played 68, and then the next it was 56, and then the next it was 76. Adam Fox has been a regular in the lineup for the New York Rangers. If Scott Perunovich can get there and his first rehab game, the conditioning assignment is tomorrow, but if he plays well, then I would look at the Blues and say, You're, you need to play this individual in every position the rest of the season. Power play, penalty kill, top minutes, let the kid run. And I know he's been out for a while, but you're 24 years old and we kind of need to figure out what you are. And if he turns into that, well, then guess what? You just found the guy through the draft who can help you out moving forward. And if he's not, back to the drawing board. And that's where potentially having three or four draft picks this upcoming draft, you could find them. And to put some numbers on Quinn Hughes's name over the last two seasons, he's averaged 25 minutes on the ice per game. So he's eating that ice time that we saw, whether it be with Petrangelo when he was here or whoever your favorite defenseman in the NHL is. Good chance Quinn Hughes playing roughly the same amount of ice time as that respective player for that team. And he's playing on a team that is not very good. And yet over the last two seasons, he's a plus 20 combined in that stretch for the Vancouver Canucks. And in those two seasons, he's played 127 games. He has 120 points. Quinn Hughes is a stud, man. And if you've got that kind of potential on your hands with Scott Perunovich, this is where it gets back to. It's why I want to see him the rest of this year. Mm -hmm. Find a spot in your lineup in the second half of the season to be able to evaluate what he is right now as a player. The question has never been his skills. His skills are there. It's about health. Yep. Can he sustain this level of play over the course of 82 games? The answer so far has been a, a resounding no. Let's find out if he can do it, though, at the NHL level the rest of this season. Whenever he's done with this conditioning assignment, he's one of, for me, one of the top players to evaluate the rest of this season. Real quick, one text I want to get to because I know we're late on time from the 618. The reason why you need a defensive defenseman is the small offensive-minded guys. You need a shutdown guy in a seven-game playoff series when you're up by one with a minute left. Colorado didn't really have that. I mean, the guys that were playing late in the games were Devon Taves and... Kale McCarr and neither of those guys are viewed as a big, strong shutdown defenseman. You did a really good job of eliminating the other team's opponents with the defenseman you had in place. The one thing you didn't have was that consistency in terms of exiting the puck out of your zone that a young Scott Perunovich can provide. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk about this with Joey Vitale coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Also want to get his thoughts on the new four check that the Blues have been installing over the last couple of games. Craig Berube seems really happy with it. How much has this changed the way that the Blues are able to play? We'll talk to Joey about that coming up at 1130. But next, man, the Cardinals are putting a lot of faith in Dusty Blake. I don't think that faith is misplaced. I just wonder if they're putting too much faith in the in a coach, not enough faith in the importance of players. We'll talk about that next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I thought he was kind of a numbers analytical, like the science behind it, which is good. I mean, you need that right? To be as good as you can. It's, it's out there. That information's out there. Use it. It's great. But there was several times where I'm really struggling with my, my two-seam grip, my two-seamer coming off my hand. It's just not doing what I wanted to. And he showed me a couple little anecdotes to help me on that with a delivery and some, some quick little fixes to get that back coming out of your hand the proper way. And I, st- I opened my mind to what he had to offer a lot more after that. That was Adam Wainwright at Winter Warm-Up talking about Dusty Blake, the Cardinals' new pitching coach. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be joined by Joey Vitale coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. The Blues analyst want to get to him, uh, talk with him about the Blues' new forecheck. But Alex, there was a piece yesterday. It was a really good one over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's by Derek Gould on how much the Cardinals can expect from Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz this upcoming season. He wrote about the plan to get the most out of those two pitchers in particular. And when you look at the way that the Cardinals are expecting to utilize them, they seem to believe that there's no sort of restrictions on them. There's no innings limits. And that hasn't been stated explicitly, but it's it's kind of implied with all of the comments that are coming out. They say, hey, last year we saw this with Miles Michaelis. What we're doing can work. It's just a matter of implementing it throughout the regular season. And that might include... Uh, some extra rest days here or there. It might include going into the season, expecting four innings out of your starter as opposed to six innings out of your starter. Like there's different ways that they can go about this to make sure by the end of the year, those guys are at a hundred percent going into the postseason. That's the plan. All of that come back, comes back to dusty Blake. And I think this is a big bet that the Cardinals are making. And we've talked about this before. We will continue doing so as we get closer to the regular season, Alex, I think the Cardinals believe they have a superstar pitching coach on their coaching staff right now. They may be right. They may be wrong. We don't know. We'll find out. The proof will be with what they end up getting out of him this season. But I think they believe this is like a modern Dave Duncan type of a situation where this guy's going to get the most out of every pitcher that is on their roster. I think that's part of why they didn't go out and get an Andrew Chafin or a Matt Moore. I think it's part of why they didn't go out there and get another starter because they believe Dusty Blake can maximize the arsenal of Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery and Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright and Steven Matz. They can get the most out of these guys because of their pitching coach. Alex, when I say all of that, and I'm, I'm saying they're putting a bunch on the plate of Dusty Blake, How does that hit your ears? Makes me a little concerned because 
I would rather have talent on my rotation than to sit there and say, well, all of, and and let me be clear, you have talent in your rotation, but I would rather have that established arms that I know I can trust than sit there and say, yeah, but our pitching coach has the secret sauce to make these guys better than what they are. Because at what point does that secret sauce run out? At what point do you sit there and say, yeah, but somebody figured out what uh, Dustin Blake is doing with this pitchers and now they're struggling. How do you overcome that? I personally believe they have that talent on the roster also that helps here. I was thinking of this when you were talking about Dustin Blake. When was the last time that you guys can remember a team having that secret weapon as a pitching coach? Because I don't. I, I mean, the Cardinals had it with Duncan for a number of years. Absolutely. But, but I was thinking more like outside of the Cardinals to where you look at that staff and say, eh, it may not be the best staff, but they got I mean, a great pitching coach. Is working with the Dodgers pitchers, that, that guy is a freaking hero for the work that he has done. I mean, last year, Tony Gonsolin was like one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, and part I'm me not wonders, sure how good Tony Gonsolin is. Part of me wonders if it's whoever was with the, the Red Rays. Sox for a while, too. Yeah, the Rays, the Red Sox for a while, because they always felt like they were just churning out guys who... I, I can't remember who the pitching coach was for Pittsburgh, but Hurdle, whoever his yes. pitching coach was, they did a great job. They had like Edison Volquez that was good. They yep. got A.J. Burnett on the yeah. back end of his career that was good. And there they, are certain guys that I, I do believe, and, and I think it's organizationally more so maybe even than any one individual person that works with them but it's like a philosophy that clearly wor- I mean the the Rays the Dodgers the Yankees I think have some of that where they've remember, got a specific pitch that all their guys throw I remember when Duncan retired it was the Derek Lilliquist and then you went into the Mike Maddox and both of those guys are like yeah this guy is established he's got that repertoire and he could come in here and get the best out of it and it worked, but it didn't work the way that Dave Duncan was. Maybe Dustin Blake is that. Maybe it's a guy who can get the best out of his players, but it makes me very nervous to rely on that being the reason sure. why this pitching staff is able to take them over the hump. Yeah, I think Dusty Blake could get to that point, but I don't know if I would have done that going into his rookie year as the pitching coach. That's <laughs> a lot. That, that, that's where I have some of the so concerns. Jordan is, Walker, you're putting up Albert Pujols numbers. Yeah, I... I, I could Dusty Blake be that guy where you're talking about maybe he's a guy that can maximize what the Cardinals are getting from some of these pitchers that have uh, some question marks around them? Maybe he ends up being that guy. But I, I wouldn't want to be going into year one of our new pitching coach with that kind of philosophy of, okay, yeah, we got our new pitching coach in Dusty Blake. Yeah, he's analy- analytically driven. He's going to be the guy that can really take our pitching staff to the next level with a couple guys that have some question marks, like Rodriguez. Is he going to be a guy that's got swing and miss? Can he take Montgomery to the next level with his strikeout stuff? Is there more to get out of X pitcher? I think that's a lot to ask of a first-year pitching coach. That's why like, I would rather have, to what Alex's point was, just guys that I know have certainty with them and take that for at least year one of Dusty Blake experience. And then if if you see him taking, I, I don't even know who the pitcher would be at this point, but say he does really well, and in two, three years, then maybe you start going the route of what you did when you had Dave Duncan, whereas, hey, we can take on more projects because we trust Dusty Blake's going to fix them. I don't know if you can truly sit here today and go, yeah, Dusty Blake can fix any pitcher that we give him because – this is year one of Dusty Blake. We'll find out more about him. But to me, that's a big ask to have on a first-year pitching coach. And to be fair, year one, basically what they're doing is saying, hey, maximize, like Jordan Montgomery, for example, as a pitcher that immediately comes to mind for me, and keep these other two, Stephen Matz and Jack Flaherty, healthy. If you can do that, like, we're good. Year one, I think they're probably good. It's just a lot to ask, man. It is a lot to ask of any singular pitching coach or pitch a coach of any kind uh, to to really try to elevate what you have available to you 
I don't know if they're going to be right or wrong. My my guess is like the math is always in the critics favor. And so they're going to, it's more likely that they're wrong than right with a coach having this kind of an impact. But man, you do not hear this organization talk about coaches this way very often. But we've heard them talk about my, or Mike Maddox in the past. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's a good pitching coach. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's what you get. Like, yeah, we really like mad dog. They they think that they have a competitive advantage because of Dusty Blake. Like, think about that for a second. They genuinely believe their pitching coach is like into the next frontier of whatever pitching looks like. It's it's a lot, but if they're right, man, th- this may be the thing that they've been missing. You know what worries me about this? This sounds a lot like Jeff Albert. I, I mean, the offense was great last year. They ended up being right. It took longer than any of us wanted it to, but their minor league But they couldn't get it done when they needed it to. Sure, but it, I mean, it's two-game sample. We don't have to go back into that. But their minor league development was a big part of what Jeff Albert was brought in to do. Look at the hitters that they've developed over I, the last couple of seasons. To your point on that, though, I think you're going to get more answers on Dusty Blake in year one than you did from Jeff Albert because Jeff Albert was 100%. more of the overlooking of the minors, as you're saying. So it took a while to see the results come to uh, tuition. With Dusty Blake, he's more working on the major league staff. I'm, I'm sure he's overseeing stuff in the minors, too. But his focus is now, as we were just talking about, maximizing Jordan Montgomery strikeout stuff, keeping Flaherty and Matt's healthy. Like, I think his, honestly, another one of his is to make sure that Hicks has more swing and miss, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think that you're going to get more answers on Dusty Blake in year one than you truly got from Jeff Albert in year one when he was hitting I think coach. the tough part, though, and this is for every coach, is we put a lot on the coach as opposed to the player. If Steven Matz gets hurt, and it's some kind of freak knee injury again, it's not Dusty Blake's fault. And if Jack Flaherty ends up going out there and stays healthy all year, is that Dusty Blake or is that Jack Flaherty in a prove-it season going into free agency just pitching his ass off? And so it it, it becomes one of these things where even if he ends up getting everything going in the right direction, how much of that was him, how much of that is the pitcher, we don't really know. If things go in the wrong direction, how much of that was him, how much of that was just freak accident, again, it's really hard to know to attribute where that blame or credit goes. We know one thing, if they're successful, it's going to be all about Dusty Blake, and if they're bad, it's going to be all about 100%. Dusty Blake. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Questions and answers in about 15 minutes. Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst, joins us next here on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We get to questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It's been a minute since we've been able to catch up with the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Joe, how you doing Joey, today, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. <sighs> What's up? What's up, boys? Doing great. Just left 17. The morning skate. Everything's checked out good there. And, uh... Heading home for a quick little lunch, a quick little nap, and a great game tonight against the New Jersey Devils who come to town. Yeah, it should be a fun one. This is a fun uh, New Jersey team that's going to be coming into town. And, Joey, the Blues have a little bit of a new look to them, I would say, in terms of the way that they're playing. Craig Berube has discussed this a little bit over the last couple of days with the the way that they're forechecking right now. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. What have you seen from the Blues forechecks since the break? What's changed for them in that regard? Well, I think it's been it's just been consistent from every single line. You know, I think that, you know, all the players, it sounds like, from talking to some of them this morning and from watching the morning skate and seeing the last couple of games, I think everyone's just kind of playing a, a freer style. And a part of that style is, is just that consistency of, of being on the forecheck and knowing what makes the team successful. You know, the combinations of reasons for this kind of this freed-up ability amongst the guys, I think, I think, you know, with the Tarasenko trade, I think that this is a, a player that's wanted out for a while. And I think the reality is that it, it's kind of sent uh, a particular message throughout the organization and team where, you know, you have a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't want to be there. And then uh, coaches have to adjust on that. Players got to adjust on that, you know, and, and then into the game, you know, maybe, you know, you're catering to certain players over other players. And, and I think now with, with this next chapter of moving on from Vladimir Tarasenko, it, it appears that there's just a lighter feel that, you know, I'm not saying it's a better, better feeling or a worse feeling. It's just, it just seems lighter. It seems lighter with the players, lighter with the coaches. Um, and then with that, I think everyone now knows that uh, it's just got to be that consistent approach to the game, uh, whether it be forecheck or whatever kind of style it is, but, but it is a consistent style about what makes the team successful. Um, and it starts with the forecheck and being physical. Joe, I'm not sure if you've had any conversations with any of the defensemen since uh, they've gotten back into action, but Mike Van Ryan had a great quote with you guys after the game the other night talking about how teams uh, playing better as a five-check than a four-check and talked about the defensemen not backing off as much. Is that more of a, a scheme change, or is that more just confidence in individuals? Um, you know, Alex, it's actually just it's, it's more of a change that only can happen when, uh, let's just call it, I guess, um, dependability. you, you got to have someone, uh, I guess, reliable might be the better word. It's a change that can happen when you can rely on someone being there. So, you know, one of the biggest parts of the game, one of the biggest parts of the year, or areas of the game that makes the Blues really successful when it comes to the, the five-man four-checking unit, when five guys are in on the four-check or five guys are in on the offensive zone, you know, you would love for your lines, the two defensemen, you would love to see them be aggressive and pinch, like we've seen over the last two games. You know, the other team would be the Devils tonight, trying to work up. Maybe it's Nico Heischer coming up the defensive zone wall. If, if he's smacked right there by Colton Frakel on a pinch, you know, it, you're making it very difficult for a team to leave their zone, exit their zone. And that's what the Blues got to get better at, right, is, is keeping it in the offensive zone and making it more difficult for the team to leave their defensive zone. And, and to me, the biggest area for that is when you can have a defense and pinch. But I say the word reliable because the, the D for a lot, a lot of parts of the season, they haven't had maybe a reliable forward that's been that high F3 in the offensive zone. That forward that doesn't get in there, maybe even in the corners, he's the one way back out in the high slot area. 
Because the defense, they need to have that there. That's the safety blanket. Because when they're aggressive and they go pinch, they want them to be all out, 100% committed to get the puck. And they can be that when they high forward there. When the high forward's there, then he's going to come over, replace the defenseman, and let the defenseman almost act as a forward in that moment to pinch and keep the play alive. So, yes, you want that defenseman to pinch. You want the, the D to get active in the offensive zone and make it miserable for the other team to come out of their zone. But it cannot happen unless you do not have a reliable F3 all game long, and that gets back to the consistency of the style they're playing in the offensive zone. Because when that's there, it, it makes the opponent's life very difficult to get out of the zone. Joey, I don't know how to ask this any other way, so I'm just going to ask it bluntly, and you can take it in any direction you'd like to. Was Vladimir Tarasenko a bigger problem than we thought on the outside looking in? Uh, no, he was not a problem. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was not a problem. Uh, I think Vladimir Tarasenko is a competitor. I think he's very passionate. I think we saw that in his play. I mean, he's a, a franchise player. He's an all-star. I play with plenty of players like him. And look at Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon had a reputation for a while of snapping on the bench, breaking sticks, yelling at teammates, right? Because he's a competitor. And I think that, you know, for those types of players, the best in the world I think learn over time how to harness that energy and, and just keep it to productive. Like I look at Sidney Crosby. Watch when Sidney Crosby came into the league. He was snapping sticks, yelling at reps. Uh, players were getting under his skin. He was taking retaliatory penalties, right? But he learned uh, through great mentorship of Mario Lemieux, uh, rather, uh, Retchie, whether it be uh, uh, Billy Guerin, plenty of veterans that surrounded him to, to harness that energy and use it in a more productive way. Um, I think for Tarasenko, to me, he reminded me just a lot of Nathan McKinnon, where his passion, his energy, his love for the game, he wanted to be successful, and he wanted to be successful not just only for the team, but the fan base in the city of St. Louis. Uh, sometimes maybe just went over the line a little bit. You know, Curbs and I were calling a game in Arizona a couple weeks back. It was the third period. It was a frustrating game. They're down 3 nothing at the time. He comes back. He slams the door, you know, slams the stick. He starts barking at Cairo. Cairo starts barking at him, right? I mean, again, you hate to criticize the passion because that, that passion also has made him the elite goal scorer and helped the Blues win a Stanley Cup in 2019. So you don't want to criticize the passion, uh, but at times I think the passion kind of stepped over the line a little bit into a negative way where at times I think that you know, players and coaches alike, um, you see it just about with every team. Uh, you have to lean into those, those players and you have to get those players going because you need them so much, right? It's not, you're not catering to a high maintenance player, you know, you're catering to a guy that can help you win hockey games, right? So that's where the balance is. So it's, it's good that Craig Berube and then the coaching staff, of course, was trying to cater to him because here's a player that can actually win you hockey games when, when he's on his game. So how do we get him going? Uh, but at the same time, when, when their game falls off a little bit and you find yourself still catering to that player, that's when at times it can kind of send a bad message throughout the team. And I think that that's kind of where it came to over the last couple of years, certainly this past year, uh, with everything uh, for Vladdy when it came to him wanting to get out. And then, um, of course, still trying to make that marriage work when it just probably for a while there wasn't working. Joe, uh, a final one. And we've talked a lot about March 3rd trade deadline. And, of course, that's what everybody seems to bring up. But you are talking about a team that has won back-to-back games and going into this one where they got a little bit of a tougher opponent. Can you see a change of heart from Doug Armstrong between now and March 3rd? Oof. I mean, gosh, Alex, that's a, that's a really great, great question. And, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not the person really to be asking 
that, I mean, I, I appreciate the question. I just, I can't put myself even remotely in the mind of Doug Armstrong and what he, and what he's possibly thinking right now. You know, I, I would imagine that after that five game losing streak heading into break, I would imagine that maybe his mind was made up at that point, what he wants to do. You know, I mean, look, you found yourself in, in a pretty bad spot around that time. Uh, but now you look at the, the flip side. I mean, the Blues right now are, you know, eight points back of the Minnesota Wild, and they have one game in hand. I mean, in that game in hand, let's say you beat the Devils. Now all of a sudden you're six points back from the Minnesota Wild. And I know a lot of other things got to happen, but you're not that far off. Guys, we got a lot of hockey still ahead of us, right? So uh, for, for Doug Armstrong, if, if I had to put myself in that shoes, I think that the moves he wants to make, I think he's still going to make them. But at the same time, he is not going to put this team in a position where they're, they're going to bust. They, they just won't. I think that he is going to make strategic moves that are going to help this team's future. But also I think he's been really good at it, and, he, and he's shown this in the past, that he's also going to make those moves. And, the, and part, of the, part of the return of those moves, whatever they are, are going to be maybe prospects or players that can help you right now. And, again, this is the team. I'm just talking Robert Bortuzzo about 20 minutes ago. He's like, we're, we're there. Like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. We're, we're right there. And you know what? They kind of are right there. And if they keep trending in this direction, and Minnesota, for example, keeps trending in the direction they're trending, I mean, before you know it, you can rip off a 7-1, and one, an 8-2 and two run, and all of a sudden some other teams lose ahead of you, and you're right back in that mix. So to answer that question, Alex, I'd say, you know, I think he's already made up his mind on a couple more moves, and I think he will see those moves through. But I do think there will be returns that are going to help this team right now because I think Doug Armstrong, if he wants to do one thing, he wants to stay competitive. He's told me that before, his own words. I want to always, always, always stay competitive. He's never been a coach or never been a GM, rather, to just fold in. He's always been a GM that's wanted to stay competitive. So whatever he will get back for the moves I think he's already having his mind he's going to make, I think will help this team still make a huge push for a wild card spot for the rest of the season. He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call tonight. Fun one. Blues versus the Devils. Pre-game with Alex and Joe starts at 7 o'clock. Puck drop with Joe and Curbs coming up tonight at 8 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Joey, it's great to catch up with you again, man. Glad to hear you on the call once again tonight for Blues versus Devils. We'll talk with you again next week. Hey, sounds good, boys. You guys have a great weekend now. Thanks, Absolutely. Joe. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us to give us his thoughts. Alex, in terms of like what he was saying about the Blues being a five-man unit and playing a little more responsibly, and maybe I jumped to conclusions by saying it, it, it sounds like that is a kind of, not a veiled shot, but a the Blues are able to do this now because they no longer have Vladdy to worry about. It, that's the way that I interpreted it, and that was my own interpretation. Not He did not explicitly say that. H- how did you take? what Joey was saying there about the the five man unit and being able to rely on the on the forwards being in the spots where they need to be. I can see where you're coming from because I believe a lot of Blues fans are probably thinking the same thing. I saw the text messages after the game, what was it uh, Tuesday against Florida where they were saying like is this because Vladdy's not on the team? Uh, at least what I heard Joey say there is something that Baruby has said a lot about. And he's never really mentioned players by name. He just mentions veteran players, younger players. They got to be making the smarter plays. And that's that that uh, that forward always coming back for the defenseman. Because the problems that I've seen from the Blues early in the season 
is when a defenseman gets into a tight spot in their own zone, the forwards are already at the neutral zone or closer towards the blue line looking for that outlet pass so that they can get into the offensive zone quicker. What we saw in that Florida game was back-checking five-man unit in their own zone so that there was an escape for a defenseman if they get into a tight spot. I think it almost goes the other way, too, on the offensive side of things, where the defenseman, uh, it's almost like a flipping of roles, right? The defenseman is coming behind the net, playing behind the net, and then you've got the forward that has to reverse course, get back towards uh, closer towards the red line. And like if you're in that spot as the forward, you have to be trusted. The defenseman has to be able to trust you to be able to cover for them, basically. It's almost like in a in the NFL, if you're playing a, a coverage, right? you got to cover two, for example. A corner has to trust that the safety is going to be over the top mm-hmm. because if that safety's not there, well, I know I now yeah. no longer have the coverage that I was expecting. I look terrible. And now you're playing two positions where you're supposed to be only playing one and position. And the corner sometimes looks terrible, even though they played it exactly as they were expected to do, and the safety wasn't where he needed to be. So it looks like a blown coverage on the corner, but it was the safety that was in the wrong spot. That's why I feel like there has been too much. Uh, negativity towards just the defenseman. Now, there have been bad games by the defenseman where they've allowed five backdoor passes, five hole plays where they just look like their controller was unplugged. But there also has been a lot of times where a defenseman is trying to make a pass out of the zone. The forward is trying to do their own thing, not on the same page. Next thing you know, that puck is picked off by a defender on the other side, and you're talking about a goal there. So that's where I feel Joe was coming from. Sure. Not so much where it's an individual player, and people can p- pinpoint, you know, Kairou's done this, Thomas has done this, Tarasenko's done this. I don't think it has to do with one guy. I believe it has to do with a different mindset, and maybe once you get one player who has been mentally checked out this season off of that roster, then the other guys are more like, all right, now we can play a little bit more of a system. I mean, Bennington said it best after the game Tuesday. He said, we've all put our heads down and we've just bought into the system. Maybe they weren't buying into the system prior to that trade from Vladimir Tarasenko. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at about 10 minutes or so, have the Blues found a new forecheck that can work for them long term? We'll get a little bit further into that coming up at noon. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with carltoninsurance.net. Questions and answers, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. All right, let's start with this from the 314. Alex, in the NHL, what is the biggest difference between the no-move clause and the no-trade clause? I know that that seemed to be the holdup for Petro. Can you explain the differences, and are there any players currently on the Blues that you would expect to get or ask for a no move. Uh, So first question there, the difference, at least in my understanding, no trade clause, as it sounds, you just can't be traded to any team. And then there's a modified, unless you accept accept it. And maybe there's a modified, no trade clause where they have a list of teams that they'd be willing to accept a trade from. But the no trade is 
if a team comes and says we want to acquire this player, Doug would have to get the approval from that player and the player's agent to be traded. The no move clause is that player is a part of the organization. You can't trade him. You can't drop him down to the minors. I believe you can release the player, but that's going too deep into it that I don't understand yeah, the, the side of you, it. Basically, you can get rid of the player if you need you buy to. Buy out the player essentially, money. but he's getting his money no matter what. And this is Doug's mindset of you, you also can't expose him in the in the uh, correction draft. Doug's mindset, and he told Chris Kerber and I this that this much uh, last year at Obi Clark's. He feels the no movement clause gives a player more. Uh, more responsibility, more ownership of a team than the actual owner does. And so that's why he doesn't believe giving the no movement clauses. Uh, to answer the second question, if Thomas and Kyra don't get a no movement clause, nobody on this team's getting a no movement clause. Not that's currently here. Um, I mean, it, we'll see what happens with whoever they draft this year. If they end up getting like a Connor Bedard and Bedard ends up being the superstar that everybody expects him to be, he's only staying if he gets a no move clause. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of it. Then if you're a top 30 player in the NHL something like that yeah. you're getting you're asking for a no move clause and then it just becomes a question of if the team is going to give it to them uh, from the 636 guys do you think that Jake Neighbors should be on the NHL roster for the rest of the season I do yeah I do I I, I didn't I wouldn't I wasn't expecting Neighbors back until after the trade deadline because prior to Brandon Sod's injury they were going to let Ivan Barbashev play with Sammy Blay and Nolachari on that third line. You've got three guys on your fourth line that you just want to get some action. And you were keeping Jake Neighbors in a top line role who was playing power play penalty kill minutes for Springfield. But because the injury has occurred, who knows with Brandon Saad, you bring Jake Neighbors up. He's not going back anymore. Now you'll see this team until March 3rd. And if there's changes, then you'll see guys from the uh, American Hockey League brought up so that they can get some reps at the NHL level. Yeah, I, I would keep him up at the NHL level the rest of the year just because you're in evaluation mode. I, I don't buy that they're in playoff contention still, even though they're only, what, six, eight points out. They're going to be tearing this thing apart. So I want to see what some guys look like here at the NHL level. Neighbors is one of those guys in that same conversation that we had at the beginning of the show with Scott Prunovich and, and with Callie Rosen, some of the defensemen. So I, I don't think he goes down back to the AHL the rest of the year. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This comes from the 314. Guys, why do you think it is that people hate John Mosellock so much? He seems to have done a great job, in my opinion. I'm a little confused on where so much of the frustration comes in. Man, this has a lot of layers to it. I'm going to say, we're, uh, we're getting deep right now. I think the biggest reason why people have grown frustrated with John Mosellock is the lack of a championship in the last decade. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. I don't think there is a way that cushions the blow more than what I'm about to say. I think the 2000s, the early to mid 2000s, basically the Albert Pujols era, made Cardinals fans a little spoiled. And I'm not saying it wasn't justified, but I think we just, people in St. Louis kind of assumed oh, this is just what it's going to be like now from 98 on, basically, is you're going to have stars and you're going to do a lot of winning. And when the Cardinals stopped doing the winning in the postseason and the rest of the National League started catching up, the Mets started spending like the Mets should in New York. The Dodgers started spending like a team in L.A. should and stopped throwing stupid money at old players and started throwing smart money at very good young players. And then you've got the Padres doing what they're doing. You've got the Braves starting to spin to like they they had in like the 90s. Well, around you, the National League has gotten better and you've stagnated. 
And so I think that Mo being in charge at the time of all of this taking place around the Cardinals is what has led to the frustrations with John Mozeliak more so than any one individual move um, that Mo has made or didn't make. I also think what you hear from people, you hear us talk, you see it on social media, that's the very minimum of Cardinals fans who are outspoken about John Mozeliak being a That's problem. A really point. I think it's a vocal minority. A large amount of Cardinals fans are very pleased with what John Mozeliak has accomplished. And Mike Claiborne said it best on the opening drive earlier this week. Go go find a general manager who has been in the sport as long as John Mozeliak has, who has never had a below 500 record. Because it is a rare thing to see. So um, t- always take that into consideration too. But for that bare minimum that are outspoken, somebody's got to be to blame. Somebody else on the text line makes it a good point uh, from the 618. Guys, I like Mo, but sometimes he also can sound a little condescending. Um, I think that I have yeah. a problem that Kinda Mo like sometimes has as well, where sometimes. I say things and I don't mean them to sound bad or I don't mean it to sound like I'm talking down to somebody. What did he, uh, <laughs> he tell us in the office earlier today with me? Backhanded compliment. Oh, I, I made a, a comp for a, uh, no, a, a breakout pitcher. And he's like, well, that's probably your best breakout you've ever had. Yeah. It's, I said it's better than the other ones that you've had. I, I don't know how you couldn't make that not sound tomato, tomato. He, even him correcting <laughs> yeah. himself sounded condescending. Yeah. Fair. Uh, I think that I have the same issue that Mo has sometimes where we say things and we don't mean them to sound bad, but sometimes they do. And it can, I think it that's can a be kind of a, for you. a messaging well, issue that. So you're like, yeah, you better, I'm trying you, to get better at it. It's, it, it's one of my uh, New Year's resolutions is Man, I'm trying to recognize you failed on January 2nd. <laughs> no, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that I won't do it. I want to recognize when it's taking place. And I think I've gotten better at recognizing it. You didn't recognize I, the one in the office earlier. <laughs> and you just repeated it. Hey, you're not doing well. <laughs> keep so on. Good. Keep it on. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. It's Tanner's favorite segment of the week. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. No, no, but you were the one who was out on Believe It or Not in the office earlier. Let's just, I just throw that out there. Because I was ready, uh, my Ferrario 5 is ready to, to take its rightful place in the show. And in 30 minutes, Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus will tell us why Pakoda hates the Cardinals. That's all coming up later on this hour. But coming up next, have the Blues found a four check that can actually work for them? Not just right now, but for the rest of the season. We'll talk about it next year on 101. ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We just, uh, we've been backing up too much, so we've really been trying to get them moving up, uh, having a lot more responsible F3 with our high forward. You know, and we've been working as five. That's the biggest thing for us. It's a five check, not a four check. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Believe it or not, coming up in less than 10 minutes, we will talk with Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus. Why? Pakota hates the Cardinals. That's coming up at 1230. But Alex, that was Mike Van Ryan after the game the other night talking about the Blues. I don't know if you want to call it a new four check, but they're... Um, oh, it's the five check. Yeah, the, their their decision to really emphasize the four check, I would guess, would be the better way to frame it. Is this something that can actually change the trajectory of the season? Do, do you view it that way or is it smaller than that? It's just like, hey, 
They've emphasized this. It's worked pretty well for a couple of games. We'll see moving forward if it's something that they can continue. I'd say it's a smaller sample size because we've seen this earlier in the season where they've talked about how we switched some things up. The penalty kill, perfect example. We switched some things up and it worked and then it dipped off a little bit. The power play, we switched things up and then it dipped off a little bit. It works until another team figures out what you're doing and then next thing you know, boom, you're back to where you started from. I will say, though, that game against the Florida Panthers – they were playing differently on the defensive side. And we talked about this with Joe and a little bit after it, but you earlier in the season, guys on the defensive side were hesitating with the puck. It was hold on to it and look for that pass out of the zone. And the problem was that pass out of the zone, the, the, the forwards kept skating and it was too far of a pass and it was picked off and turned over in the neutral zone. And then the players on the defensive side who were trying to jump up into the rush, they got caught on the odd man rush because they turned the puck over. This one was more of the onus being on the defenseman saying, blank you, I'm taking it myself. We'll create the offense from there. That's the five check that Van Ryan talked about. And there was one cut in there also that was very telling to me. He said, we're trying to get our guys to stop backing off so much. And what that means is when a forward's coming at you, you don't want the defenseman to just keep skating backwards and let him enter the zone. Kind of want to stand the player up so that he has to make a decision, pass it or dump it in, and then your speed comes into play there. So... It works right now. How does it work tonight against a New Jersey Devils team that plays stingy defensively? How does it work against a Colorado Avalanche team that possesses the puck more than you in the offensive zone? You worked against a Panthers team that's good, but a Panthers team that was on the set of a back-to-back and had not played well on the road this season, and you were going up against a poor goaltender in Spencer Knight, and it didn't work against an Arizona Coyotes team, but it worked enough to get you to overtime. Tonight will be a good example of Is this a new scheme that can work as a unit? But at least on the defensive side for the defenseman, it feels like it works. Somebody on the text line, 314-399-9646. This comes from a 314. Guys, it's smoke and mirrors. Give it a game or two. It'll look back. It'll start looking like the team that we saw previously. It seems to be where Blues fans are at. You know, I'll be honest. I don't agree with the text line often. I agree with that one. I actually like, so this is me being sat boy, numbers nerd. Get the uh, squirt bottle out, T-Bone. By the way, every time he's condescending, we're going to spray him with squirt no, bottles. I, I feel no, like that I, was me making fun no, of myself. No, no. I, I, don't, I don't think that's That squirt. wasn't me being you condescending, You get a squirt bottle for being wrong. You get a squirt. Nothing in the numbers suggests <laughs> that right, anything squirt. changed for the Blues against the Panthers. Like, nothing. Absolutely not. All of the underlying numbers basically led to this. Yeah, Jordan Bennington was awesome in that game. He, he had a fantastic save percentage on high danger chances, like an unsustainably great. But I'd argue that in the third period, the first two periods as a unit, they were playing well. I mean, you only allowed that team to 18 shots on goal through two periods. And I know text line, hockey games, total of three periods, Ferrario. Great. Congratulations on understanding the basic premise of a hockey game. But a team that was. But the but. What I'm saying is that was a team that averaged 36 shots a game. They were also on the second night of a back-to-back, and they clearly didn't have their legs. You like also I, didn't have two players in the game. You were sure. playing with 18 guys instead of 20 guys. But again, I'm just playing devil's advocate there. Yeah, my, my point is basically this. I think that the Blues have played a really good first period, and then after that, it pretty much looked like the Blues that we've seen the rest of the season. How rare have we said that, though, where they played I, a really good first period? I totally agree, but I think the first period might have been a reflection of that, that back-to-back yeah. situation. Um, if if they look like that again against New Jersey and Colorado, I'm more than happy to admit defeat on this. I, in fact, I would love nothing more than for us to look back on this in a month from now, say, holy bleep, 
the blue season completely changed when they went to a new five check. Can I be honest with you guys? Sure. I really don't want that to happen. <laughs> I really want that top 10 pick. Fair, man. I think we all want that. Sorry. I think it's for the best for their long-term yeah. health of the organization. Especially really when you've got mobile, tinier defensemen that you're trying to figure out how to play. That's the area you have to fix. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think that this is something that's going to completely alter their season. I do like, though, that the coaching staff in self-scouting found something during the break where they said, hey, you know, we, we could do this better. We can change this up, and it might give us a better chance. And maybe it's three games. Maybe it's five games. Maybe it was just the two that we saw, and that ends up being the end of it. I think that's a, 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 another reminder, and there have been a million of them. This is a pretty good coaching staff. They know what they're doing, and if they are able to get this thing corrected in terms of the personnel and they get the right fits here in St. Louis, I think you'll see this thing get back on track sooner rather than later. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is just, Hey, Craig Berube found another tweak, another adjustment to be able to make the team look a little bit better. And whether that's for two games or 20 games, honestly, doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, it, It's just a reminder that he's got that in his bag. And that's something that you need to have as a head coach in the NHL. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Craig Goldstein. He's the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. They put out annually the Pakota projections, which, again, annually hate the Cardinals. <laughs> Why is that? We'll talk to Craig Goldstein about it coming up in 15 minutes. Tanner's favorite segment, believe it or not, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line, is coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of I, I turned on I can't sing here because I was punished, so I'm going to let you guys take it here. Sorry, Get stinky, on this sorry. segment. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Yes, flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. It is Tanner's favorite segment. Of the week, yeah, my my conducting was not great no, this week. Yeah, you pointed to the wrong that. person there. I know. We had like a month of not being all together for believe it or not. I'm I'm a little rusty. We were together we'll last week, and there's no reason to yeah, use that excuse uh, anymore. Coming yeah. up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Craig Goldstein. He's the editor in chief of Baseball Perspectives. So if you're not familiar with their work, you might be familiar with Pakoda because you hate them. They're the Pakota projections that come out every season. They always hate the Cardinals. Why is that? We'll ask Craig Goldstein coming up in about 15 minutes. But right now, let's get into Believe It or Not. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, with the Cardinals lineup going into the season, this team has a real chance to break the team record of 235 home runs in a season. (laughs) Hot damn. How many um, home runs did the Cardinals hit? I'm going to look this up, how many home runs the Cardinals hit. It's got to be year. less than 200 last year. Yeah, I don't think so. So that's why I'm not going to believe this. With even for the excitement around that, that's a hell of a lot of home runs to be hitting for a lot of uncertainties on your team. 197 last year. And that was with Albert Pujols being the best hitter in baseball. Uh, I'm not going to believe this either. I, I don't think – do they have a lot of guys that you can, like – 
see a great power potential. Yeah, but I, I think some of those guys are going to be splitting time where I'm just not completely bought in that they're going to have that peak power potential for this season, so I'm not going to believe this. In 2016, they hit 225. and 2019, they hit 210. I think they could get in that range. Like, I think there's a real chance that they hit more than 200 home oh, runs this season as a team. They'll outperform what they did last year. I think they have more power. I think 235 is hard to imagine than being able to get to that stretch. Unless so I'm little poppy goes off it. for 40. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Uh, let's get to this one from the 618. Guys, believe it or not, the Ravens are going to end up messing this up with Lamar Jackson after deciding not to involve him in the offensive coordinator hire, and Lamar will demand a trade officially this offseason. So they didn't involve Lamar Did you with see this? No, I didn't. So this comes from, I think it's Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, if I'm not mistaken. He tweeted it out a little bit ago. Uh, He said, according to his sources, it is his understanding that the Ravens did not fully integrate Lamar Jackson into the hiring process for their new offensive coordinator. I saw it reported elsewhere that um, Lamar was asked, like, hey, what kind of offense would you like to run? And the Ravens went out and found this specific coordinator. So he was not asked. He was not involved in the interview. So but he wasn't asked about the specific coordinator, but they asked him what offense he wants to run. What kind of offense? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I mean, I get they didn't ask his approval on the actual coordinator, but they asked what he wanted to run. And I would imagine his answer is the reason they went after this individual. So I, I'm not going to believe this one. Uh, when you, when you get um, head coach's name that I can't think of right now, Harbaugh, when you get him, stating publicly they're going to do everything they can to make sure that he's here for the long term and I understand they're off on the financial side of things Lamar just doesn't seem to be that type of guy and I think Baltimore knows where this is going to go unless they can get like a Justin Fields for Lamar Jackson I'm not believing this Lamar will be here yeah I'm not believing it either I I think they'll keep Lamar there I I think you basically would Lamar have liked to been like hands-on in the hiring process sure but they gave him the second best thing in terms of, hey, what offense you want to run? Okay, we'll go find that guy. And I don't think Harbaugh was ever going to give up that kind of control in the hiring process for the OC. Yeah, so it's got to be a guy the head coach wants to work with. Yeah, so I I, I don't think this is in too much to read into. So I would say I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this either. I just, the Ravens have the franchise tag this year. If Lamar ends up going somewhere else, I think it will come after they have exhausted the two franchise tags that they can use on him, and it'll be a Kirk Cousins situation. Agreed. If you're the Ravens, you have one of the six or seven best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, you can people can disagree on where they want to rank him within that top six or seven, but I think Lamar is, is firmly involved in that mix. You just don't trade that guy. I mean, when was the last time that we saw a guy in that level of superstardom at that position at this age traded? I genuinely can't recall uh, something like that taking place. So I I don't think that the Ravens will trade him. I don't think that the Ravens should trade him because when you've got a guy like this, you just, you don't let that guy walk. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line for believe it or not. Alex, believe it or not, the blues will re-sign Sammy Blay. Uh, believe it. He's making a million and a half dollars right now, which that's, if I'm not mistaken, the basis of his um, arbitration, if it went that far, because he's a restricted free agent still. 
I, I would imagine Sammy Blay likes being here. He's had success in the past. He's looked good in two games. If I can get him for what he's making or less on a one-year deal, a prove-it deal, to where he's played like 56 games in the last two seasons because of injury, I'll bring him back. Bring him back on a one-year deal. I need a lot of guys who can play third or fourth line roles, and Sammy Blay is one of those guys who brings physicality. He's aggressive on the puck, and he's familiar here. So I'll believe this one. I think they bring him back. I'll believe it too. Small sample size, but he's looked really good ever since coming back. So I, I, I think if you can get him for, like you said, it, it, the same price he's at now are a little bit cheaper. I, I think the Blues would like to bring him back. He played that third, fourth line role for you. So I, I'll, I'll believe this. And, and for some reason, he feels like one of those players. There's no science behind this, but there's always one player. It feels like in every sport that they can only play well for one organization. And for yep. Sammy Blade, his might just be, for whatever reason, he just has success when he's here in St. Louis. I mean, I think sometimes we overestimate how good you have to be to be a third-line player on a quality oh, team. Absolutely. Alex, I'm looking at, for example, the Boston Bruins, their third-line combination right now. They've got a gentleman named Craig Smith that is playing on that line with them. Good player. Good player. You know what his points so far on the season are? 20. He's got nine points in 39 games that he's played with them. He's on the third line of what is undoubtedly so far this season the best team in the NHL. You need guys that can be role players. And if you can get those players for cheap, you bring them back. So I, I'm i going to believe this, whether it's Sammy Blay or somebody that is the equivalent of Sammy Blay. I think the Blues this offseason are going to make a deal for like one and a half, two million dollars to be that third line winger. They, they need somebody like that. And in the last two games, they've looked like what Craig Berube has been searching for as an identity line. And I believe he said it so on the fa- on uh, the fast lane yesterday, talking about how Achari, Barbashev, and Blay have kind of been that uh, identity line. I-, I could see Blay and Achari being back next year if Achari's not traded come March third. Another guy that is in this line a uh, line of thinking, Carolina Hurricanes, right? Uh, Jesper Fast, yeah, is a third line winger for them. Good player on the season, six goals, nineteen points, yep. and he's playing about fifteen minutes a night. Again, you, you just n- want guys you can trust. You Sammy need, Blay is playing like that. You need solid, capable wingers on that third Absolutely. line. You don't need superstars. You don't need to have three lines where you're getting 20-plus goals on every single line. I know it felt like the Blues had that last year. That is not the norm, it's rare. Uh, even for the best teams in the NHL. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, for some reason, Pakoda every year underestimates what the Cardinals are capable of. So why do they keep getting it so wrong? We'll ask Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, it's become an annual tradition. A tale as old as time. The Pakoda projections come out, and Alex, two weeks ago, I sent Tanner, hey, can you reach out to the Pakoda guys? I think the projections are coming out soon. We'll have to ask them why they hate the Cardinals. Absolutely. At that point in time, we didn't know what the projections were, but we knew, we what, knew, the, it. We knew what they've been in previous seasons. And Craig Goldstein is the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. He does great work over there. The Pakoda projections have come out from Baseball Prospectus, and he joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Craig, we appreciate the time as always, man. It's become an annual tradition for us, so we'll go ahead and ask the question up front. Why does Pakoda hate the Cardinals again? 
Well, we hate everybody. I mean, that's that's honestly <laughs> that's the honest answer here. Even if even if the projections are kind to your team, we don't like them. Um, yeah, I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot, even before uh, before I was scheduled to come on the show. And I I honestly think in <clears throat> one of the they're one of the more interesting teams out there. Um, and and believe it or not, we do look. I know it, it, it is a tradition, as you say. Uh, but we do look at like why these things happen. <laughs> and and one of the things that I've been noticing is over the last several years, our, our, uh, not only our model, so we have the, the projection model, but we also have our, our various metrics, proprietary metrics. And ours is uh, for pitching is DRA minus deserved runs allowed. And, and the minus is just means, uh, you know, if it's 90, it means they're 10% better than league average. If it's a 110, it's 10% worse, that kind of thing. And, well, when I look at the the Cardinals, there's often a lot of uh, doubt from the from from DRA itself, even during a season. So not a projection, but just during the season about the quality of the Cardinals pitching staff. Now, I think anyone who watches them knows that the Cardinals pitching staff is really good. But one reason they're good is that they play in front of a world class defense. And what our metric likes, what deserved runs allowed likes, are pitchers who control their outcomes. That means uh, high strikeouts, low walks, right? I, and I think almost anyone would tell you that's that's the ideal type of pitcher you can have. But the Cardinals tend to have guys who get a lot of weak contact in front of an elite defense. And that's another really good type of pitcher. But this metric doesn't, uh, well, because it's in play, it's a ball in play, there's a variance around it. And you don't know the outcome of a ball in play as well as you do a strike. And that's, that's just math, right? That, that's true across all of baseball history. And so what I think the Cardinals have been in their recent iteration is a team of pitchers that generally uh, pitch to contact and get a lot of weak contacts, which is really good and gets a lot of good outcomes, but that our, uh, that our metric says, well, I don't know if that's something that's going to hold up over time. Because in a lot of cases, it doesn't. But because the Cardinals' defense is good every year, year in and year out, top-tier defense, they keep beating our estimation. So that, that's one part of it. I guess the part that, that I was surprised by, Craig, is when you look at the uh, the the, uh, the the run scored category, the Cardinals are at least projected for the fourth most run scored in the National League. Do 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 the projections really see the pitching being that bad to outweigh how good the offense is expected to be? Yeah, so that's that is the projection right now. So if you if you go to our if if someone went to our depth charts page or or the standings page, uh, you can see the run scored run, runs allowed. Our depth charts page shows the the total. Uh, again, our our hitting metric is deserved runs created plus. We project the Cardinals to be about nine percent better than league average. That's really really high as a team. Just to be clear, uh, as you said, fourth most uh, runs scored in the league. It has the the uh, the pitching staff to be. Uh, Three percent worse than league average, and and I'd be stunned if that happens. Hmm. But because because it's a hitter's park, generally speaking, because they put a lot of balls in play, uh, uh, the model is going to sit there and say, okay, some of these are going to end up as home runs, a lot of these are going to end up as hits, and they again they end up not doing that because of the elite defense. And I'm sure people you you're listening, I'm sure listeners are saying, well, account for the elite defense, and we do right, we we do try and account for that. But it's still something that they've been able to underrate because, again, what the model and what the metric sees is over time, they're going to this this type of uh, I don't want to call it luck, but these, these type of results don't tend not to uh, last. 
right? When you see other people, other players, other teams have something like this, there's usually a lot of regression. And, and so that's part of, again, part of the issue here. And Craig, I would assume, and this is, uh, I guess here's the question for you. If you were to make a change like that within your model, it would have to apply to every team. And my guess is most other teams other than the Cardinals that pitch this way don't get the same kind of results that the Cardinals do. And therefore, it would almost have to be like a specific Cardinals type of correction. And you can't really do that in your model. That's exactly right. I was actually just talking about that earlier. Is that if you, if you, if, as a process, if you start making an exception, you're putting your thumb on the scale and you're, you're going to mess something up that way. Right. And I understand people are saying, well, you're, you're kind of messing up already. Right. <laughs> like if, if you're constantly underrating them, you're messing up. But you're exactly right. If, if we apply a change to something like that, it's going to change all of our results. And historically, on average, we do pretty well, right? I mean, that's why we do it this way. And we do make changes to our models. I mean, we, we are trying to, to address these issues, uh, but it's something you have to be really careful with because if we do something that might fix the Cardinals, we might go off on, you know, we might be more off on five or six other teams. And that's not a productive fix, ultimately. So it's something we're always looking at. And it's something that we have to drill down on the reasons. Um, but it, it's definitely, uh, again, like the, I, the, this is just one example of, of what I think might be happening. It's not something we know for sure. If we knew for sure, we'd probably be a little more proactive and able to, to try and address it in a specific way. So, Craig, if we get away from the model, we're talking to Craig Goldstein of Baseball Perspectives. They're the one that's put out the Pakota projections every year. You can follow him on Twitter at C.D. Goldstein, G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. Craig, if I, I said, okay, set aside the projections then for a moment, set aside the model, just your opinion. The projections have the Cardinals at 86 wins, two games behind Milwaukee in the division. How do you view this Cardinals team just from a 10,000 foot view perspective? Yeah, I, I was honestly a little surprised. I, I thought we'd have the Cardinals in front of Milwaukee. I, I think Milwaukee, uh, I, I'd have somewhere in the 85 to 86 uh, win range, and I would have had St. Louis closer to 90 plus. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the new schedule shakes things up a little bit. You're not going to get as many games against kind of bottom feeders like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Um, but you know, you are going to get some games against other divisions, kind of bottom feeders a little bit more often. So, so we'll see how that goes. I, you know, I've, I've been skeptical of St. Louis in the past. Uh, not, not to say that they're not good, but necessarily as good as their year end totals. I mean, if you, if you go back to 2021, our projections were tracking. Okay. And then they ripped off 17 wins in a row. Right. And that's, and that's something that they did. And you can't ignore that. That's a loss that we take, you know, that that happens, but it, it, it's one of those things where sees, as the season goes along, you're feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, you're looking pretty bad. You know what I mean? Um, but, but again, to avoid the projections themselves, I, I think St. Louis is the best team in this division. I, I think one other thing you have to account for is, you know, do both Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have MVP quality seasons? Yeah. You know, I, I know Goldschmidt was the guy, but Arenado was right there for us. And, and one of the other things I think St. Louis does exceedingly well. And, and it's, it's one of those things that I really don't know how to account for on a projection basis is they cycle off guys. I, we tend to say at, at BP and online, I'm sure you've seen it Cardinals devil magic. Right. Yeah. And it's like, because it's, it's, it's the, it's the meme from breaking bad. They can't keep getting away with this because the question is like, how do these get, you know, last year was, it was Brendan Donovan 
And and the, the reality is Brendan Donovan's just a really good player. But in years past, we've seen Aledmus Diaz get hot and carry the shortstop position for six weeks. We've seen Edmundo Sosa do it. And those guys are now on other teams. And a lot of times they'll, they'll move off, you know, they'll send them down or they'll move them back to the bench. We've seen it happen with Paul DeYoung a few times. So the, the, the question to me, is, or the, the observation I have, I suppose, is that St. Louis is really good at both having quality depth Number one, that's something we can account for. But number two is they cycle through guys in, in terms of who's performing and who's not really, really well. And, and that's something that's hard to do. When, when we do these projections, we project the depth charts and the playing time, but sequencing matters too. You know what I mean? When you get the best six weeks of Aledmus Diaz's season, that matters. When another team is going to play him uh, throughout the season rather than bench him when he's cold, uh, you know, they're going to get a, 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 you know, ultimately a much different season than the Cardinals get out of the positions he plays, if that makes sense. It does. And with that being said, Craig, what do you think is missing from this Cardinals team to put them into that next tier? You, uh, as opposed to like projecting to the upper Correct. 90s yeah. or, or something like that. Yeah. I, I think, again, I kind of do, I buy into what our metrics uh, say, broadly speaking, in terms of, I think if they had a, a top tier ace, and look, I, I know what Adam Wainwright did last year. I know how Jordan Montgomery started right after the trade, but I, I think someone truly elite at the front of the rotation, if, if Jack Flaherty can get back to being the guy he looked like at one point, right? That's, that's something that's going to matter. And I also think there is, there, there are some really, Look, Ryan Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos, no one's going to complain about them in the bullpen. I think that, you know, after them, there start to be a fair number of question marks. And I think we saw that bite them in the playoffs last year a little bit. Uh, you know, they asked a lot of Helsley. Uh, I don't know he had the finger injury, but they asked a lot of him uh, in, in the in the series with the Phillies. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos, obviously high quality. We project him to be extremely good, actually better than Helsley uh, in, in 2023. But after that, it gets really soft really fast. And the advantage of the playoffs is you can maybe convert a starter to relief. Um, but, you know, they they have the same kind of thing happen in the bullpen, too. Andre Payante is very similar. There's a lot of balls in play. He throws the ball really hard. Sometimes it's weak contact. But you relying on the defense to make those plays ultimately. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's something that we've complained about as well. We were very much interested in them, A, going out and signing like a Carlos Rodon if possible, and then B, yeah. you know, one of the relievers that has signed over the last couple of days, whether it be Matt Moore or Andrew Chafin, just to bring a little more certainty to the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. it, it, it would have been helpful, but uh, they decided not to go in that direction. We're talking with Craig Goldstein, ESP, or excuse me, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. I want to get back to the offense for a second, Craig, because yeah. – it, you can ask 20 different Cardinals fans their opinions on the offense, and 10 of them will tell you that it's atrocious, and then the other 10 will be like, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, but they, they stopped hitting when it mattered again in the postseason. You guys are very high on the Cardinals offense. You mentioned one of the five best according to your projections in baseball. What is it that you like specifically about this Cardinals offense? So, so we have uh, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt both projected over 130 DRC plus. Again, that's that's 30 percent better than league average offensively. Those that's those are monster numbers. To have two guys in that range is is huge. Then you add in Wilson Contreras. I understand guys, you know, people are, might be unhappy about what, how the offense performed last year. Wilson Contreras is a really big 
part of that. And, and I know obviously how people feel about Yachty and I, I understand that. Uh, and you're going to lose, you're going to lose a bit defensively with Wilson, but what you gain offensively as a lineup lengthener is going to be absolutely massive. And, and the reason it's massive is a lot of these other guys check in right around league average, Tommy Edmond, 101, Dylan Carlson. We believe in uh, 107 again, 7% better than league average. Tyler O'Neill, 7% better than league average. Uh, Lars Nupar, 5% better than league average. Juan Yepes, 5% better than league average. So that's a lot of depth. And then when you add in the core of Contreras and uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado and, and even someone, you know, Jordan Walker, we can talk about. He, he was only projected for a 93 DRC plus, but I think the upside is there beyond that. Well, I, I'm absolutely in the tank for Jordan Walker. I love him as a prospect. And, and again, when you have a lot of league average kind of guys up and down the lineup, it really makes it a grind to get through if, if, if you're an opposing team. And when you've got what, what Vin Scully, I, yeah, I grew up a Dodgers fan, what Vin Scully would call the egg and butter guys, right? In terms of, of Goldschmidt and Arenado and Contreras, um, that, that's really going to drive. Again, these guys are all getting on base. Uh, it might not seem special, but they're going to be on base enough for when the special guys come up uh, that, you're going to drive in a ton of runs and that's, you know, and that's not accounting for the fact that we know Tyler O'Neill can perform at an elite level. Obviously last year was a rough one, but we've seen it happen before. And, and so there's upside baked into that too. All right, Craig, we'll get you out of here on this. If you have a bold prediction for the Cardinals or, or something that you're particularly interested in that uh, you think is interesting for our listeners, what, what do you got on the Cardinals that you, you want to throw out there? Oh, that's, that's, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I, I guess it's that I think, uh, I think Jordan Walker is going to end up uh, coming up and, and playing at above a league average level uh, as a rookie. I think he's going to be a difference maker in this, uh, in this lineup and in the playoffs. Cause I, I do think they're going to be in the playoffs. Like I said, if, if I were making the prediction, I think they're going to win the division uh, or, or they're the more likely to win the division. I think he's going to be a big part of that. Craig, we appreciate the time, man. Great to hear why you guys hate the Cardinals once again this season. We'll talk with you hopefully again next year. Would, would love to do it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. That's Craig Goldstein. Again, he's the editor-in-chief over at Baseball Prospectus. They do excellent work other than just the Pakota projections that hate your team every single season. It's true. Give him a follow on Twitter, at C.D. Goldstein. Alex, one of the things that I guess just makes me laugh sometimes when you do interviews like that is a lot of people are, are basically saying, like, yeah, this guy clearly hates the Cardinals or from the 636. This is awesome. BK's the biggest whiner about Pakoda and his beloved advanced analytics and all that is behind it. I picture him curled up in the fetal position, sucking his thumb after an interview like this. That's what you like to picture BK as? I, I mean, it's first of all, fair. Uh, second of all, like I, I think what he told you is exactly why projections for the Cardinals pitching specifically are really hard uh, to get right. What he's essentially saying is the Cardinals have found this loophole with finding cheaper cost-controlled pitching because of the way that they're able to pitch to contact because of how excellent their defense is. And they're the only team that has cracked that code in all of Major League Baseball. That's basically what he's saying. He's essentially saying because you have Goldie and Arenado and Edmund and an outfield that is very good defensively, you can get away with things pitching-wise. And honestly, playing at Bush Stadium helps this you can get away with thing pitching wise that other teams simply cannot get away with. So when you've got, you know, Dakota Hudson who won, what was it like 15, 20 games, whatever it was in 2019, 
Why was that possible? Well, the projections would tell you there is no way to sustain that over time. But it was possible, at least in part, because he's pitching to contact and you had you have a great defense behind him. And I think the same thing will or should be true for the Cardinals this upcoming year. And that's really hard to capture in any sort of projections. It's much easier to do when we are around the team all the time. You as a fan of the, the team, you know what that defense is like. So you, you take that into account when you're watching them. Speaking of the pitching, too, that they've been able to crack that loophole with. Yes, a lot of that's the defense. But how much of that is what we talked about earlier with Dustin Bl- or Dusty Blake? Some some of that might come into it. To where they just seem to be able to get the best out of certain types of pitchers that other teams can't find ways to do that Look with. at their deadline acquisitions over the last That's couple what of I was, years. That was what I was thinking of, of getting a Jose Quintana, of getting a John Lester, of acquiring these guys that step in. You're like, damn, where did this come? I thought John Lester was going to be a disaster. J-Hap. J-Hap. It's J-A-Hap. Uh, who was... Who was the other one that they got? Your guy, uh, LeBlanc. LeBlanc came in in 2021 and had like three weeks of being a a high-level pitcher for the Cardinals. They're able to make a few tweaks here I just wonder how much of that is Dusty Blake. Some of that was him. I'm sure some of it, like I will give credit where it's due. I I think Maddox was a a really good pitching coach for them. Um, Old school, but a a good pitching coach nonetheless. And I I think that you also have just in general a good coaching staff. The other thing that he said there that I I think is important is he talked about the sequencing of getting the best out of players. And once they start to go through a downward cycle, you send them down to AAA, you get the next guy that can give you a hot three, four weeks uh, stretch. Mm -hmm. I think the Cardinals were really good at that last year with Juan Yepes. And um, you had that with there was a. Preview, uh, a piece there with Juan Yepes being a really good hitter. Uh, Albert Pujols, they got the best out of him, and they started playing him more when he got hot down the stretch. I, I think that's something that Ollie's really good at, is knowing when to, to push right and guy. when to pull back on playing time for specific players. So all of that comes into, and it's a well-managed managed team with a pretty good coaching staff. And that's really hard to take into account when you get any of these projections. Um, so credit where it's due. I, I appreciate him as well uh, for hopping on with us. This is something that they have to do every year. They know. Like when they sent out the tweet of um, the projections officially being out, they, they basically said, here's why we hate your team. Here's why we might love your team. And then also thanks to all the Cardinals fans that are tweeting at us. Like <laughs> They know. They, they know that w- what they're going to get when they come onto a station like this to explain their projections. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, The Athletic put out some ideal trade fits. There are two that are on that list from the Blues. We'll tell you who the teams are that make sense for those players. And Alex is the illustrious return oh, of the Ferrario 5. It's back! The five best players, prospects or NHLers, that the Blues could get back in return for O'Reilly or Barbashev. We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, if you missed any of our conversation that we just had with Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh, but right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, whenever you book a flight, do you like double-check, triple-check to make sure yeah. 
right date, <laughs> right location. Got everything, right time. I got all of my ducks in a row Filled before out. you officially complete the booking. Yeah, I spelled the name correctly on the uh, passengers list. I was worried about that <laughs> when we went to Disney World. But yes, I think I triple checked after we booked it, our Disney trip back at the end of January to February. I think I had to have checked it three or four times within about a 30 minute span after I officially booked it because I was worried that did the wrong date, did the wrong time, did the wrong flight. Did I spell somebody's name wrong? And I'm like, I don't want to deal with this before we get to the flight. I'm notorious in our family for booking things on days that I already had something else going on. I've booked a half marathon the day that I had a wedding for somebody else. Um, I've had like. I'll book, I'll have a plan to do something, and then, hey, we're going on vacation that weekend, right? Well, Kingsley Burnett one-upped me. Kingsley is a native New Yorker, and he loves to travel, travels all across the globe. And he was super excited, man. He was getting ready to go to Sydney, Australia. I'd be excited, too. Booked his flight, was all ready to go, got to the airport, and he got on his plane. And then he is coming down from the plane, and man, this looks like Montana. Saint Sydney, Australia. Where are we I'm, going? I'm more impressed that Kingsley knew the difference between Australia and Montana when he gets off the flight. They landed in Billings, Montana. He didn't think much of it. Airport's common location for travelers to connect. I was going to say he didn't think much of it. He was trying to get to Australia. He thought that this was, okay, this is our... I, I guess he must not say, have did he know that he, to did see he what know the that connection he was. Connecting? was. Um, but according to him, he, he, he just assumed, okay, this is my connecting flight. Okay. I think I would have checked that before I got on the flight, but go on, Kingsley. What he didn't realize is that Sydney, Montana oh. is just a few hundred miles east of Billings, Montana. Oh. According to the story, Burnett realized that he wasn't going to Sydney when he re- Sydney, Australia when he saw the size of his plane. Quote, I saw the little plane with about nine passengers and wondered, how is that getting all of us to Australia? Quote, my story in a bottle ended with the lady at American Airlines counter as she tried to send me to the correct place. Unfortunately, that place ended up being back in New York City after one night in Billings, Montana. I'm going to sound like shout out to Carol for making sure that everything got straight. Shout out, Carol. I'm going to sound like a jerk here, but I don't feel bad for this man. He's an idiot. (laughs) How did you, one, not look at the abbreviation of where you were going and not see the M? I think is Montana a T? No, it's an it's an MN, right? Uh, MT, I think. Is well, it MT? You find out in case you're booking a no, trip I would to, never Sydney, go to Montana. But also, the price difference. I'm pretty sure a flight to Sydney, Australia is going to be a little bit different than Sydney, Montana. I don't feel bad for this man. You are dumb, sir. You are awarded no points and may God have mercy on your soul. I, I guess what I don't understand is like, I don't know what the cost is to fly to Sydney, Australia. Never looked into it. Can tell you it's probably a lot more expensive than Sydney, Montana. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say American Airlines is charging a little more. You know what? Let's find out. Let's let's do some research for Kinsley right now on our junk drawer and just make sure that he understands that, you know, we we feel bad for him. My guess is this is purely a guess. Tanner, let's play a little prices right over under. Don't try to get it closest without going over. Okay. Price to fly, on average, to Sydney, Australia, one way. 
I would guess $400. And remember, it's American Airlines. You're yeah. guessing $400? I would think it's got to be more than that, right? Because one way, because it's like it was like three hundred or something to fly to Texas, if I remember correctly. Really, those are expensive tickets. I think so. Uh, so I'm gonna go. So they have it as round trip. So I'm, you guys are gonna have okay. to do round trip because okay. I don't I'll have guess, one way. I'll guess eight hundred bucks for the whole thing. I'll go. I think it's more than that. I'll go a thousand. $3,359. Now, I this is from to here to Sydney, Australia, but wherever he was from, it's going to be closer around that. Now, let's find out what Sydney, Montana looks like for this individual. $5. Hold on. I gotta... It's four grand? Yeah. Yeah, I would. It's an it's an international That's flight. That's a round trip. Have, but yeah. yeah, it's an international flight. And I'm assuming that, I don't know that's why my crazy. Voice if he went from New York, I'm assuming he had to go like Dude, all I the paid, way around like the globe. To I get paid eight hundred dollars for my wife and I to go to Orlando. Per per person? No, total. That's pretty crazy too. I normally we fly for like two fifty. Uh so each. so Sydney, Montana from American Airlines round trip, if you want to sit first class, is thirteen hundred dollars, but main cabin is eight hundred and fifty dollars. This is why I don't feel bad for you, Kingsley. Yeah, all of these round trip are about twenty five hundred dollars yeah. or more. Yeah. Kingsley I, say, I figured it had to be way more because Kinsley, were you drunk when you booked that's this flight? A long flight. Man, I really underestimated how expensive it is to fly, huh? Yeah, that's why yeah. I hate flying. I told Katie when that's we... That's why when you said that 400 I, I exclusively like, really? fly Southwest for the most part. I do, too. So I, just, I do, too. I told Katie when we got off the flight back in St. Louis from Orlando, I said, I'm never flying again. Not because it was a bad trip. I just... I hate flying. Oh, I wouldn't much rather drive oh, I, I grew fly. up. I grew up on driving to all our vacation spots, so I love, I love oh, flying. Oh, no. Sydney, Australia is spelled S-Y-D-N-E-Y. Sydney, Montana is spelled S-I-D-N-E-Y. Once again, I don't feel bad for you, Kingsley. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with Alex stupid. on this Stupid. I don't know if I'd call him stupid, but I, do, I, don't, I, I don't feel bad for him. There were so many things you could have double-checked before you booked this. Instead, I just feel like Kingsley's like, yep, Sydney, Australia, here we go. I'm only paying 600 bucks. Somebody said, did he not look at the flight duration? I would imagine it's a little longer to get to That's Sydney, Australia than it is to get to Sydney, Do you know Montana. how many times you look at your, your passport slip that you get for the flight? Man. That's rough. That's Also, was he want. sitting in the, the area of boarding the flight where the lady came over the intercom and said, all right, all passengers for <laughs> yeah, Sydney, Montana. Maybe he was question. like Odell Beckham, and he was asleep by the time that they took off. He had to have been. <laughs> so stupid. In 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters. But coming up next, it is the illustrious return of the Ferrari 05. The five best players that the Blues could get in return for O'Reilly in Barbashev at the trade deadline. He'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The sticker price is a second and a prospect, but I mean, Doug's not going to say no if somebody's coughing up a first. Uh, so... It really comes down to setting the market and then letting the buyers kind of basically bid against themselves to see how you can get the biggest return. And there is a ton of interest in Ivan Barbashev. 
That was David Paniota yesterday talking about what the price will be for Ivan Barbashev. And Alex, earlier today, The Athletic put together some of their ideal fits for players around the NHL as we get closer to the trade deadline. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. By the way, coming up in about 30 minutes, it is our weekly segment, Can You Beat the Blues? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. At the end of this segment, we're going to give you an opportunity to text and not now at the end of the segment we'll tell you which texter you need to be in order to get involved in can you beat the blues today you'll be going up against justin falk or ivan barbashev you'll have an opportunity to win an uh ivan barbashev signed puck and some blues tickets so we'll get to that coming up at at 1 30 in about 10 minutes or so you'll have your opportunity to be able to text in to be a part of that game but alex earlier today the athletic put out their piece on the best fits for specific players they had one for ivan barbashev they had one for ryan o'reilly ivan barbashev they say is a perfect fit for the tampa bay lightning and the way that they get him according to the athletic is by sending barbashev to the lightning and the blues in return get a 2024 second round pick and a center prospect jack finley Alex, what do you think about that? That would be their sixth overall prospect in their system. A, a second-round pick next year, and then a, a center prospect, a forward prospect. For I Blues. wouldn't do that. If I'm the Blues and that's my best offer, I'll keep Ryan O'Reilly and hope I can re-sign him in the offseason. That was for Barbashev. Oh, I'm sorry, for Barbashev. I still wouldn't do that for Barbashev. Because from whatever... Uh, at the bare minimum, what I need to get for Barbashev is a draft pick in 2023. I'm not worried about 2024 from Doug Armstrong. That asset doesn't benefit me in the off season in terms of making a trade or in terms of keeping it. I got to get 2023. So that's the bare minimum for an Ivan Barbashev first or second round pick there. And if you're going to toss in a prospect, well, the prospect's got to be better to raise the return of the draft pick. So if you're offering me a 2024 second round pick, well, then the prospect better be somebody who can rise the likelihood of that. Six foot six, 220 pound centers. Is that Jack Finley? Mm-hmm. Fine with it, but how far away is he would be my question if I'm Doug. Apparently he's in the AHL right now. He's 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So I, I would think within the next year or two, probably. Maybe. And I guess if he's the sixth best center. Six best prospects in their system. Six best prospect in their system. That's he's, not, he's not a big score. He this year for the Syracuse Crunch in forty six games, he's had fourteen points, seven goals, seven assists in forty six games. Maybe if you get him an opportunity, who knows with that? I still think I'd be looking for more if I'm Doug Armstrong with Ivan Barbashev, especially for how much he's highly touted around the National Hockey League. All right, so that is the Barbie side of things. They also, you mentioned Ryan O'Reilly, they also had a best fit for Ryan O'Reilly, and it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And according to this possible trade, again, all of these are hypothetical, 2024, so not this year, next year first-round pick, a fifth-round pick this year. That's it. Blues retain 50% of the salary. In return, they get a 2024 first-round pick and a 2023 fifth-round pick. I'll start on this, and then I want to get your thoughts. No chance. No chance, Jack. If that is your bid, then the Blues uh, will not be sending Ryan O'Reilly to Toronto. I think he makes a lot of sense for Toronto. I do not think this is what would be able to get it done. I think the Blues need to get either a first-round pick this year or a significant asset in terms of a prospect in return. Uh, 2024 first-round pick, I don't think it's a done. 100% agree with you. Real quick, though, because our text line just brought this up. Jack Finley's from St. Louis. 
Oh, really? Yeah, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis kid. So uh, maybe that raises the interest for a lot of people with that. And I mean, he's had a good career in the juniors. I still think I'd want more if I'm the Blues. But to O'Reilly, I'm with you. That again, the bare minimum for a player like that is something in the 2023. That's a first or a second rounder, and that's going to be the hard part for Doug because teams aren't going to want to give up that much for a pure rental. And that's going to be what teams view Ryan O'Reilly as, because I'm sure other teams say he's probably going to try and re-sign with the Blues after this season. So we're getting him for a cup run. Do we want to give up a first round or second round pick for that? But if I'm Doug, welcome to the bidding wars, ladies and gentlemen, because if you miss out on Timo Meyer, if you don't get Patrick Kane, if you can't get this done, I got a perfect guy for you that's won a Stanley Cup and was an MVP. The price rises as you get closer to that deadline on March 3rd. So I'm not trading him for that, though. I'll just keep him and say we'll figure out how to get you back here next season. All right, Alex, those are the athletics ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get some of your ideas in the return of the Ferrario 5. Boys, I've been waiting for this for so long. T-Bone, get excited. T-Bone, hit the open! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. Nothing random about this one, boys. We all know how Ferrario 5s go. They click at 100% rate. Pavel Vuchnevich, Martin Furk. I'll just keep this uh, good thing rolling on. Now, mind you, what I did with this is I put in return offsetting draft picks. So understand, you're not getting draft picks in any of these returns for O'Reilly and or Barbashev. But you're getting something that's going to help you now. Let's start with number five in the New Jersey Devils. New Je- the reason this is low on the list is because I don't think New Jersey will do this unless they get like a Timo Meyer. But if they miss out on Timo Meyer and Meyer goes to Toronto or Meyer goes somewhere else that makes the Eastern Conference difficult, New Jersey gets into desperation mode. And you could find a way to maybe trade both of these guys for former seventh overall pick in 2020, Alexander Holtz. Played for the Devils for 19 games this season. He spent a lot of time in the minors the last couple of seasons. Uh, projected as one of the best prospects in the Devils system. Also projects as a top nine winger. Uh, this is a 21-year-old who's ready for the NHL. Swede. Swede, indeed. <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's not getting his opportunity. Hey, he plays for Utica. 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 The office reference, T-Bone doesn't get it. The Devils have their top six. They might look at Alexander Holtz as a great depth piece, especially for a contending team, but they also look at a team that they could win now. And if they don't get Timo Meyer, who this will be the guy that goes in return for a Timo Meyer. Are they willing to cough up an expensive price, not have to give up any draft picks, but say, we'll give you Holtz for Ryan O'Reilly? Very unlikely for me, but he'd be the guy in return that I could see the Blues saying, like, give us this kid. All right. Number four. Can I venture over to the Vegas Golden Knights for you, gentlemen? I would love you to. Uh, I really wanted Nicholas Haig in this deal, and I've talked about it in the past. I had that shot down by multiple people saying it's not going to happen. Maybe they're wrong because they don't understand how good the Ferrario 5 is, but if it's not Nicholas Haig and the Vegas Golden Knights really want Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Ivan Barbashev, there's a winger named Pavel Dorofev. We've got good luck with Pavels. Yes, we do. Buchnevich, Dimitra. 
Any other Pavels in your guys' mind? No, nope, that nope. was pretty okay. much it. 22-year-old winger who is from Russia, played in the KHL for the couple of seasons. He's in the American Hockey League right now. Scoring winger, guy who was drafted in the third round. Not going to be a top six forward, but could be a good depth piece in terms of a third-line scoring winger for you next season. 22 years old, so he'd be a guy I might see the Vegas Golden Knights looking at and saying, yeah, we can give this up over a draft pick. Which 27 goals last year down in the A. It, it might benefit you to get, if you give them an Ivan Barbashev and you don't get a draft pick in return and you get this in return, I'd call that a win if I'm the Blues. All right, now we get into the juicy stuff, boys. Three on this list of the Carolina Hurricanes. Take out draft picks in return because I got a kid named Scott Morrow who's 20 years old, six foot two defenseman, projected as a top four defenseman with the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina has a lot of defensemen under contract. Carolina also really needs a forward to play center for them, which if you can get Ryan O'Reilly and not give up, get a first round pick in return, this is your kid. He's playing in college right now, probably a couple of years away. But Scott Wheeler on The Athletic projected this kid to be a top four defenseman who could project to be a top defenseman. He's got 24 points in 28 games in college. I'd be asking for this in return if I got to give up Ryan O'Reilly and not get a pick in return. Here's your defenseman that could be a number one guy for you in the future, also plays the right side. So for all of you who want to trade Colton Pareko, well, you got a right-handed defenseman. Number two on this list, Toronto Maple Leafs. You mentioned Toronto being a fit. I think Toronto's going to have to pay up more if they want to get Ryan O'Reilly because you're not going to get anybody for that asking price. You won't even get Ivan Barbashev for that asking price. They're desperate to get something because their fan base wants to do it. I brought up Matthew Nice, also shot down. But you guys remember that Doug Armstrong was doing a scouting trip in Finland, correct? Well, I got a Finnish center who's mm. 21 years old who's playing over in Finland currently. He's got 13 goals and 24 points. Uh, Ronnie Hervinen. Young kid, probably a couple of years away also, but if they want Ryan O'Reilly, Doug would look at this and say, all right, let's see what we can get because this is a former second-round draft pick, and if you're going to give us a 2024 first-round pick, I'd rather get something that's going to help me possibly next year, two years from now. Still want Matthew Nice, but don't think it's going to happen. Number one on this list, and I'm excited for this one. Isn't this the guy that yesterday, what's his face? No, he has another one. Uh, okay. Tumo Reitonen or something you know, like this that. This guy's 5'9". Okay. You got a problem with short people? No. Alex DeBrinkett's 5'10", and look what he's done. I, I was just saying. He's 5'9", a buck 72. T-bone, he's got a problem with short people. How do you feel about this? Oh, come on. Come on, man. Get that, squirt, get that squirt bottle out. You're better than that. Uh, Calling up the Winnipeg Jets for number one on this list. And credit to Dan Rosen because he brought this up in his mailbag. But this is one that I was really intrigued by. Uh, Vili Hainola, left shot defenseman. He's been in the pros with the Winnipeg Jets. He's down in the minors right now. Hasn't clicked with Winnipeg this season, but he's a guy to me that screams needs a new opportunity. And a left-handed defenseman who all of the prospect rankings on him have been guy's a really good offensive weapon and makes smart decisions in his own zone. You're taking a chance on this, but Winnipeg's been connected to Ryan O'Reilly. If you can get a left shot defenseman who was a former first round draft pick a few years ago, you could get a guy who's playing in your top four next season. So if I could give up Ryan O'Reilly and get this in return, that would be a massive return if I'm Doug Armstrong. There's your Ferrario five. It's been a minute. It's good to hear. Those are the five prospects that Alex would be targeting in a trade 
for Ivan Barbashev or Ryan O'Reilly. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up here in about 20 minutes or so, we're going to call a little bit of an audible. Uh, We will get into our game this week of the Can You Beat the Blues? Ivan Barbashev and Justin Falk are going to be the two players that you will compete against. We will have four members uh, from the text line, 314-399-9646. If you are texture number 49, you are texture number 50, you are texture number 72 or 73, you will be a part of Can You Beat the Blues? All you got to do is text in Can You Beat the Blues to the text line uh, 4950 7273. Those will be the texters that we select for the game uh coming up next uh some really unfortunate news in uh cardinals nation tim mccarver it has been announced uh has passed away um he was 81 years old we'll give you some of our thoughts on tim's passing uh we've got some audio as well i I remember talking to danny mack about tim and the influence that tim had on danny mack i want to play some of that for you guys we remember tim mccarver coming up next here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll play the game of can you beat the Blues? Try to bring the mood up a little bit. Um, but as you just heard from Tanner, uh, the news of the day here in St. Louis, and it's it's heartbreaking news, is that Tim McCarver has passed away today. Um, he was 81 years old. Um, Alex, I for a lot of people here in St. Louis, uh, Tim McCarver was it kind of felt like a friend because of the way that he broadcasted. He broadcasted as if he was your friend, and he made games fun. He was to me. I think something that has been lost a little bit in especially baseball broadcasting, and this is no shot at anybody in particular, but Tim McCarver was an excellent storyteller. I mean, an excellent storyteller. And when I remember back to listening to him on Cardinals games, that's the first thing that comes to mind is the stories that he would tell on the air. And I think that some of those story stories that you hear on the games, you hear less and less of that now on baseball games. And Tim was kind of the last of of that era of baseball, you know? And so for me, like what comes to mind, I I didn't watch the Cardinals during the sixties. I wasn't around to see his playing days, but for Cardinals fans, whether you were around to watch those 60 teams or sixties teams, or you are around more recently to, to watch him as a broadcaster, basically every generation of Cardinals fan has a tie to Tim McCarver. And so we all felt like we were friends with him. Um, It, it's heartbreaking news, man. He he was in just a, a tremendous guy, and he brought so much joy to the game. Um, so it's it's a sad day here in St. Louis to, to see this news. It absolutely is. And uh, everybody who is a Cardinals fan or even just a baseball fan loved Tim McCarver because of just the personality that he was. And, you know, you don't get those storytellers unless they've been a part of some important teams, some fun teams, and been around those players. And that's what Tim McCarver was. I mean, he had so many relationships. He had one of the best relationships with Bob, Bob Gibson. I, I, I've interviewed Bob Gibson a couple of times, and I've, I've sat in on the stories that he has told, and it's always Tim McCarver, and it's always what Tim McCarver meant to him. And then 
when he was on the broadcasts, you'd get to hear all of those stories about when he played and being around the players. And it's rare you get a broadcaster who has those relationships with generations and generations of players. And that's what Tim McCarver was. Um, And that's why you don't see it as much around baseball. But that's also why we have been so lucky and blessed in St. Louis when it comes to Cardinals Hall of Famers. Because think of all of those guys that have been storytellers and have been a part of broadcasts. I know a lot of people uh, that listened to Cardinals games uh, in the past. Bob Gibson was a part of a lot of broadcasts. Tim McCarver, of course, a lot of a part of a lot of the broadcasts. You've got Mike Shannon, Lou Brock, all of those guys who have had the ability to tell stories have been a part of broadcasts, and that's why I believe Cardinals fans they're always credited for being the most intelligent fans in baseball sure. because they were able to listen to all of those hall of famers speak. Yeah. I would also add this. Like I, I remember we talked with um, John Mosaic. I, I believe this was after the passing of Bob Gibson and uh, man, we've, we've lost too many Cardinals legends over the last few years for sure. Um, he, we talked to him and we asked him, you know, what, what is it about having guys like Gibby and Brock around the club that makes the Cardinals unique? And he said, I, I think that's the secret sauce. I think that's what makes being a Cardinal special is you've got the history of this organization and those previous players care about the current players. Like yesterday, I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Ozzie Smith, mm-hmm. uh, they, they've limited the restrictions. They pulled them back a little bit. So former players are now able to be at spring training again. Ozzie Smith, one of the things that Nolan Arenado asked of, of Mo in the offseason was, hey, can we get Ozzy around more often this year during spring training? And Ozzy was down there yesterday in Jupiter, and he met Mason Wynn. <laughs> That's the legend of the past at shortstop meeting what is hopefully a, a prospect of the future uh, at that position. And I, I watched the video of Mason Wynn meeting him, and he said, man, it's an honor to meet you. Um, it my, my stepdad, Mason Wynn's stepdad, was, was an, a huge fan of yours. And so I bring this all back to... Uh, with Tim McCarver, he was one of those legends. And him being around the game every day here in St. Louis, it, it was like it's it's what baseball is so great at. It ties together families. It ties together generations because that's the through line. Seasons come and go, uh, but baseball is always there every year. Baseball is always there, especially here in St. Louis. So I, I went back through some of the archive to find – um, a few of my favorite things that I, I remember from Tim McCarver. Uh, one of these, one, one of the things that I love about McCarver, uh, the dude was stubborn as hell. <laughs> and on the broadcast, if he wanted to say something, by God, he was about to say it. And this was during what at the time was a perfect game in a Cardinals game. I think this is like six years ago. I think this was like during the 2017 season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, here's Tim McCarver on the call during a perfect game. I've always considered it foolhardy to not talk about a no-hitter if a guy's got one. This is supposed to be a civilized society, man. This is not the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. 300, 300 Spartans to, to... Playing Monopoly. To stop, no, no, Thermopylae. Thermopylae. Got it. Great Greek nation. 
As a result, the winners in Western civilization were saved, my friend. Who else is bringing in a 300 <laughs> reference in the middle of a no-hitter? <laughs> it was the God best. bless that man. He seamlessly transitioned to trying to make as many people angry as possible by bringing up the fact that there was a no-hitter, a perfect game that was taking place at the time. And then brought into, up Thermopylae. Yeah, he he had a little bit of that in him where he'd, like, he'd make the history reference. He, he was just the best, the absolute best. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was but uh, it was in joe book or joe buck's book uh lucky bastard that he put out and he talked about the first appearance with tim mccarver in the broadcast booth and he said tim was just relentless on him he was brutal he was a jerk and then joe said afterwards he told him he's like well you passed the test kid i mean how awesome is that to have a, a hall of famer like that uh just just rail you in a broadcast booth your first time on the fox broadcast if i'm not mistaken from his book and then afterwards, like, you passed his test. Like, that's when you know you made it for a Tim McCarver. But that's what was so cool about Tim was he could tell the talent was there, whether it was a player or a broadcaster. And I just I thoroughly enjoyed that story from Joe Buck. I, I absolutely love it. Um, the, the other thing that I would add is, like, you guys have listened to me. If, you, if you're listening to this right now, you've probably heard me talk about my baseball sensibilities, right? And in every possible way, my baseball sensibilities should not have lined up with Tim McCarver's were the antithesis of what each other believed in baseball wise, right? I'm much more modern. I believe in the numbers. I, I believe in certain things being played certain ways. Tim McCarver was the opposite. He was the, like, if you looked up old school baseball <laughs> in the dictionary, it would be a picture of Tim McCarver next to it. And then Tanner Hendrickson. Sure. <laughs> I love Tim McCarver. I'll take that. I absolutely love listening to Tim McCarver on baseball games because of the pure joy that he brings to the table. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is for like two baseball people that have completely opposite sensibilities for somebody to win you over like that? That's Tim McCarver. And so I, I, I listened back to a few of the things that we had on Danny Mac. This is going to this is going back to um, prior to the 2020 season when Tim McCarver officially stepped away from the broadcast because of the covid year. Um, we asked Dan about Tim's influence on Dan in the broadcast booth. Um, here's what Dan had to say in 2020 about what he'll miss about Tim McCarver and, and the kind of influence that he had on Dan as a broadcaster. Taught me a lot of things as a broadcaster to be able to go out on a limb. And he always said to me, BK and Rivs, it's okay to be to go out on a limb. And if you're wrong, it's okay. Because our our job is to entertain. And you made people think at home because in baseball, we're always second guessing, right? With the manager, like, would I pitch to this guy or do I pitch around him? Would I go with a curveball here, a fastball? Oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't start the runner here. And he'd make you think. And he'd say, if we'd go out to dinner afterwards. He's like, man, I'd said this. I'm sure a bunch of people said I was an idiot. He'd go, I don't care. And he didn't. And, and that's what the beauty of Tim McCarver was and is. So great dude, special man. And, uh, I had a great conversation with him yesterday. He was very emotional about it because he loves the game first and foremost, and he loves the Cardinals. He loves the fan base, and uh, he's going to be missed this year. There's no doubt about it. Think about this, Alex. Tim McCarter, McCarver excuse me, made his debut in Major League Baseball, if I'm not mistaken, at 17 years old. It's in 1959. He has been around the major league game basically from ten, uh, from 1959 up until 2020 when he stepped aside officially for the Almost Cardinals 75 games. years. That's unbelievable to be able to have that kind of longevity in the game. It's, it's just absurd. And that's how you get something like this. Another story from Dan 
on Tim McCarver stepping into a room with Willie Mays. Here's Danny Mac explaining what happened next. We would go in and visit with Willie Mays. And every time we walk in, Willie Mays would say, and Willie Mays has very, very, very poor eyesight, um, but he would hear the voice of Tim McCarver, and he'd say, is that you, Tim? And he said, it's me, Willie. And we sit down and talk to Willie Mays. And he and just the people that Tim knows, and the fact that I'm in there, and Tim would always bring me with everybody he knew, um, and hearing Willie Mays talk to Tim McCarver and just literally like your fly, your fly on the wall, those are the kind of things that Tim McCarver represents, the love of the game, the love of people, the love of baseball, and those are the kind of favorite stories that always come to mind when I think of Tim McCarver. Alex, you know the the documentary series called A Football Life? Mm-hmm. John Madden just had one done with him um, not too long ago. It was an excellent piece if you guys haven't seen it. I would love, love to see A Baseball Life with Tim McCarver, just documenting all of the things that he's done, all of the stories that he's been able to be a part of, whether it's because he was in the broadcast booth or on the field. The dude is like a, a significant piece of baseball history. He broadcasted World Series. He was a part of World Series here in St. Louis. He is like the through line of baseball from the 60s all the way through the 2010s. That is one hell of a legacy to leave, whether it's just in St. Louis or just in baseball in general. Uh, He's going to be greatly, greatly missed. But man, what... What a baseball life Tim McCarver lived. Absolutely. And I think uh, for Cardinals fans to know that the last piece of baseball he was a part of before he passed away was with your team is a special thing to hang your hat on um, because a guy who played for your team and a guy who was on the national stage thought it was important to come back home to St. Louis and for him to end his career that way it's a pretty cool thing to to remember him by. He's Alex Ferrario that's Tanner Hendrickson I'm sure there's going to be more uh, on Tim McCarver remembering him coming up on the fast lane later on today they'll be in starting at two o'clock if I know anything about Tim McCarver I would know that he would want to have fun um, Mm -hmm. for the rest of the show today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to play Can You Beat the Blues coming up next. We've got our four contestants ready to go. They're going up against either Ivan Barbashev or Justin Falk. Today, the uh, prize will be a signed Ivan Barbashev puck and some uh, Blues tickets as well. So we'll play a game of Can You Beat the Blues coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Do you have what it takes to beat the Blues? Now's your chance. Can you beat the Blues? Presented by Two Men in a Spa Dolly. Great deals on in-stock hot tubs and swim spas. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of Can You Beat the Blues? We've got our four contestants. It's Aaron, Jack, Levi, and Jamie. Today, we have Justin Falk and Ivan Barbashev as the two contestants. If you win, you'll win a signed Ivan Barbashev puck and two tickets to Blues versus Golden Knights coming up on March 12th. If you missed it last week, the way that this game works, you will have 15 seconds to name as many things within a specific, specific category as you can. So if I asked Alex, Alex, name as many. Any 
cereals as you can in 15 seconds. Alex would say Frosted Flakes, Fruity Pebbles, Pops, 15 sugar seconds. Snacks. He got three of them. And then if we seconds. went to Justin Falk, he got six of them. Alex is eliminated. But if Alex got 12 of them and Justin Falk got four, that'd be a plus eight for Alex. If Alex ends up winning out of the four contestants, he's the one that goes home with the signed puck and the two tickets to Blues versus the Golden Knights. If there is a tie, we have a tiebreaker question at the very end. It's a simple game. It's a fun game. It's called Can You Beat the Blues? All right, Aaron is our first contestant today. Aaron, I'm going to let you choose. Would you like Justin Falk or Ivan Barbashev as your first contestant today? Uh, let's go to Barbie. All right, you're going up against Ivan Barbashev, and it is game number three for Ivan Barbashev. Tanner, the first one there. Your uh, category today, Aaron, is going to be a simple one. Colors. Name as many colors as you can in 15 seconds. Aaron, on your mark, get set, go. Uh, red, green, gray, green, blue, yellow, purple, orange, brown, white. Uh, navy, yellow, I don't know if I said that, green, who knows, black. Uh, I got 11 because we got three of them that were duplicates. I, I had we 12, green but that three times. <laughs> we so said good. yellow a couple times. So I got 11 for Aaron. Aaron got 11 different colors. Let's start. hear how many colors Ivan Barbashev can name in 15 seconds. Uh, white, blue, yellow, purple. Red, uh, brown, orange, black, green. All right, I got got nine. Nine Nine for Ivan Barbashev, so that's a plus two. Nice start for Aaron. Aaron kicks us off with a plus two. He is currently the leader in the clubhouse. All right, going out to caller number two. Jack, you are up for Can You Beat the Blues? Jack, do you understand the rules? Yep. All there right. Jack, would you rather go up against Ivan Barbashev or Justin Falk today? Yeah, I'll take Ivan Barbashev. All right. The second Ivan Barbashev today. Here is your category, Jack. Name as many video games as you can in 15 seconds. As many video games as possible in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, we Sports, We Sports Resort, We Play, uh, uh, Fortnite, Call of Duty. Uh, Star Wars Star Battlefront, Madden, NHL, uh, MLB 2K, NBA 2K, uh, FIFA. All right, you got, you got FIFA one right at the end. Right 11. At the end. I got 11 for him. Yep. 11. I like I liked that strategy there, Jack. We we Sports <laughs> Resorts. I like that. That's smart. Yeah, that's my childhood. <laughs> All right, now let's hear how many video games Ivan Barbashev can name in 15 seconds. Corner Strike, PUBG, Call of Duty. All of them. Um, <laughs> All of them. <laughs> uh, squat. Um, Fortnite. Apex. Now, here's the real question. He said all the Call of Duty, so no, do I just put uh-uh. them all in there? Nope. No. Because I was like 20. Six. I don't even know how many there are. He's got six. Now, I will say, and this is a little bit of a, uh, like, if I was doing the video games, I would say Madden 2000, Madden 01, Madden 02, Madden 03, Madden 04, something like that. I would have gone sequels for for all of them because that's how you just level up. (laughs) All right, so he got a plus five. So, Aaron, sorry, you have been eliminated. Jack is our new leader in the clubhouse. Plus five is going to be tough. Beat the Blues. All right, those are our two Ivan Barbashev categories this week. Levi is our third caller today. Levi, do you understand the rules? Yep, yep. 
All right, so Levi, you are going to go up against Justin Falk, and your category is things that you would eat for breakfast. Name as many things as you can that you would eat for breakfast in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Toast, egg, bacon, sausage, ham, pancake, uh, French toast sticks, English muffin, uh, ham, chicken, croissants, Bagels. Oh, did got he get bagels in. in. He got it in. Got All bagels right. in. I got 11. I got 11. He said ham well. twice. He got the, the double up on the ham. English muffin. And you know what he also did? French toast sticks, where he could have gone <laughs> French toast. And I'm a little disappointed in you, though, Levi. You should have said waffles. Are you a big French toast stick dunking? Oh, are into you kidding the... me? Absolutely. Mm. Burger King used to have the goats of them. All right, let's hear how many things that you would eat for breakfast Justin Falk was able to name. Waffles, pancakes, eggs, bacon, sausage. Fruit, even though you can name 20 fruit. Um, uh, what else? Yogurt. Um, salmon locks, if you're a little fancy. Bagels. And he got cocky there to just like to add on to the fruit, but Justin Falk got nine of them still. He should have gone into the fruit. If you've got enough time That's to say, you could name 20 of them. Just start going. Watermelon, cantaloupe, grapes. Oof. I mean, you got a million of them that Unfortunately, you could Unfortunately, though, Levi, you got a plus two, which right, means Levi, Jack is still the leader. It was a good performance. You were able to beat the Blues. Unfortunately, not by enough. Jack is still our leader in the clubhouse. All right, let's go out to the fourth and final caller today for Can You Beat the Blues. Jamie is on the line. This Jamie Rivers? Jamie, do you understand the rules of the game? It's not Jamie Rivers, and I do understand the rules. Okay. You do sound a little bit like just Jamie. Like him. I just didn't know if Jamie was trying to get that signed puck. All right, Jamie, this it's is definitely our, not me. <laughs> this is our final category. It's definitely not me. Definitely okay. not me. Sure. Uh, the final category is once again against Justin Falk. Name as many things as you can that you would see on a hunting trip in 15 seconds. Things that you would see on a hunting trip. Jamie, on your mark, get set, go. Squirrel, rabbit, deer, fish, bear, tree, leaves, pine cones, dirt, (laughs) flowers, grass, hay, fence, wire. That was pretty good. He got 13. 13. 13 total for Jamie. That start, was an impressive he performance. started animals, and then he just went into I spy mode. Tree, dirt, <laughs> leaves, grass, fence, whatever else is out there. Jamie, I like out of it. curiosity, are you a hunter? No. But, you know, Justin Falk is, so he'll, he'll probably smash <laughs> That's where we're going next. That's why I was curious. All right, let's hear how many things Justin Falk can name that he would see while on a hunting trip in 15 seconds. Deer, turkeys, bear, moose, elk. Um, geese, pheasants, ducks, uh, squirrels, uh, boar, um, antelope, axis deer. Ooh, he got axis 12. Deer. That's a Canadian hunter right there. He said antelope. He said he would see some <laughs> Who antelope. Who goes hunting for antelope? <laughs> I don't think those and, are floating around up in Minnesota. And wild boars. Jamie's behind us. Jamie, do you see wild boars very often listening. in in Canada? Uh, he said, he, he didn't said say, absolutely. He didn't say moose. Yeah, that's true. But right. that was a plus one that's a for, plus Jamie. one for Jamie. He beat so the blues. Jack, a congratulations. You are our winner today of the Ivan Barbashev signed puck and two tickets to see blues versus the Golden Knights coming up on March Man. 12th. Congratulations, sir. You were indeed able to beat the blues.
How about that? Oh, there he is. Is he still there? Yeah. Jack, congratulations, man. You were able to beat the Blues. All right, hey. Stay job, on the Jack. line. We'll get your information. We'll make sure that we uh, we get you in there to be able to get all of Everybody that. beat the Blues today. Not it's one impressive. person lost to the Blues. Are, are you thinking what I'm thinking? We'll see if no. the Blues <laughs> That's are a jerk able move, man. to reverse Two in a row. the trend tonight against the devil, Devils. Alex has your pregame coverage starting at 7 o'clock. Puck drop tonight on 101 ESPN at 8 o'clock for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.